Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 330 or 330, 330. I don't know which way I'm supposed to say that to be honest, but uh, I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's cracking? This is the DC Comics podcast. We get together and we talk about the DC Comics we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths issue 6, The New Golden Age issue 1, Batman vs. Robin issue 3, Superman Son of Kal-El issue 17, Batgirls issue 12, Wildcats issue 1, and The Nice House in the Lake issue 11. And I didn't check with Matt if there was anything else he read that I've missed, so is there anything? No. No? Okay. (laughs) Alright, good good stuff. Nothing this week. That's what's coming up on the show then, so hopefully everyone's excited about some of those books, and we'll get cracking into Uh, it. Unless you want me to, you did get caught up on Monkey Prince, so unless you want me to talk about that, because that that kind of factors into one of the books this week. Uh, Um, It does a little bit, but I mean, maybe I'll just save it for when the next issue is out. Okay, that works. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's coming up on the show. Um, obviously, a little bit of news to talk about. Uh, but before we get to that, there's always time for a comicsology top ten. I think that's the quickest I've gotten to that in a it while. It is. I, it kind of took me by surprise. I, didn't, I didn't have time to groan. I didn't have time for you to railroad me off the, nope. the track into nonsense. Yeah. You can do that later. Uh, but yeah, we'll look at the Comicsology Top 10 for the week. Uh, so yeah, we look at Tuesday's figures, which is obviously DC books, and then the books released on Wednesday, we'll have a glance at the rest of the industry uh, afterwards. But yes, just so, as of right now, what are the top 10 best-selling DC comics on Comicsology? Matt, do you have a guess for number one? I'm going to go Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths, number six. You would be correct. Uh, bang. Big event, no surprise. Mm-hmm. Can you guess number two? I'm going to say Batman vs. Robin number three. Nope. Dang. Okay, let me look. Let me look. Uh, let's go with the Golden Age. It is the Golden Age. It turns oh. out uh, Jeff John still has some name recognition uh, amongst DC fans because uh, it, it did well. Uh, and it's very much a prelude to his uh, GSA run that's coming yep. up. So uh, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Batman vs. Robin issue three is the third uh, best-selling book as of right mm-hmm. now. Number four, a little surprise in this one, Wildcats issue one. Uh, yeah. that Revenge back. of the 90s. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that it beat uh, number five, which is Superman, Son of Kal-El, is, mm-hmm. is quite interesting. I mean, yeah. I realize that that book's got a bit of a backlash from certain groups, yeah. but, you know. And, yeah, and it's not like uh, this is a, a diamond thing where there's a bunch of uh, a covers. bunch of variant covers. Yeah. You know, this is all just strictly digital. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. I, I do wonder, like, how much the physical chart that we don't get to see, like, how mm-hmm. much the all the variants help some of these books, yeah. like, over the, you know, put them over some of the other ones. Yeah. I just know my shop got a, a couple of them, but it's because they were requested by people. So, I'm sure, you know, some older Wildcats fans came into the shops wanting Jim Lee covers to feel like the 90s mm-hmm. again. Yeah, uh, number six is the Death of Superman 30th anniversary issue, which we never wow. uh, looked at no. because it was a huge issue and I had plenty of books, mm-hmm. so I was fine without. But uh, cool, all the same. Uh, number seven is Nice House in the Lake issue eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, number eight is Batman Incorporated issue two. I take that, Ghostmaker. Yeah, number nine is Wonder Woman seven nine three. That is quite low for the ongoing Wonder Woman book. That is free falling. Yeah, uh, clearly a lot of people 
kind of felt the same way we did and stopped reading it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then number 10 is Batman Urban Legends. Uh, so there you go. Yep, and that, that's rounding up. That's coming to an end soon. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, the only sort of, you know, you've got a few books after that. You get I Am Batman, Teen Justice, mm-hmm. and Batgirls. Batgirls is pretty low. That's like number 13 out of the DC mm-hmm. books. Uh, which is a bit of a shame because I do think it's a bit better now uh, after its first start. Yeah. Oh, so. maybe some people rather trade weight too. Uh, maybe. Right? They, uh, they, they got through the first, you know, bunch. It's entirely possible that's a book that is actually doing better physically because of the variant mm-hmm. covers because there's a lot of variants yeah. with the different Batgirls on it and stuff, stuff like that. So I wonder if mm-hmm. it's doing well in the comic stores. But that is the, the DC side of the list. Uh, but we will have a glance at Wednesday's books and see what the rest of the industry is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any guess as to what the number one book from the rest of the industry is? I see there's a Spider-Man book out, but there's also an X book, so I don't know which to go with. Um, but I, I'm just going to go with Spider-Man 13. Uh, no. No, Spider-Man. okay. Uh, in fact, that's number four. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, number one is uh, Axe Judgment Day Omega. Oh man, I didn't even see that there. Where the <laughs> hell's that one on League of Comic Geeks? Uh, uh, and then number two is Fantastic Four issue one. Okay. So you get that. And then number three is Sabretooth and the Exiles issue one. What is this? I used to love the Exiles, unless this is a new, you know, a new take on it. Yeah, by Victor Laval is the writer. I don't know who that is, but <laughs> uh, every so often this happens where like Marvel, because I've not looked at Marvel in a while, there'll be like yeah. a bunch of writers that I've not heard of that are on a lot of books all of a sudden. Uh, number four. Yeah, so oh, yeah. I was just going to say, this is not like an exile traveling through the multiverse. Like I thought these are people that were exiled from Krakoa. So it's kind of like uh, X-Men Thunderbolts, if you will. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. Uh, number four is Amazing Spider-Man, as you said. Okay. Uh, number five is Legion of X, issue seven. Number six is Marauders, issue eight. Number seven is Avengers, issue sixty-two. You know, it says something. It says something that Sabretooth and the Exiles, Legion of X, and Marauders are all selling better than yep. just the regular flagship Avengers book. Yeah. By Jason Aaron, no less. So. Yeah. Uh, well, he's also, this is, he's 62 issues in, you know, so I'm sure the bloom's off the rose there a little bit. Aye, but some of these, uh, some of these, like, B and C X-Men books selling... Man, be- X, X-Men fans read everything now. I know, I know, you know, but, like, Avengers, you would think with the movies that Avengers' mm-hmm. name value would be so high that it would still always outsell something like Marauders, but it's not, and... I'm not actually saying anything about the quality of either that book or Marauders. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not reading either of them. But, yeah. you know, I, I just I think it's interesting. Uh, it makes me feel like they've not capitalized on these, you know, billion-dollar movies that they're literally pumping out <laughs> into yeah. comic sales figures. But, hey, whatever. I mean, I, I guess the last 10 years, if nothing else, have proven that it it doesn't really change much, the movies, uh, it gets some mm-hmm. people into the comics, but it doesn't necessarily shift which comics are being read, bizarrely. Yeah. But uh, Anyway, number eight is Wolverine, issue 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine is Spider-Man, issue two. Uh, that's the one that Dan Slott's doing with Mark Bagley. And then number 10 is Moon Knight, issue 17. Hey. So. so not even any of the uh, independents poking through. Oh, not in the top 10, though. No. In yeah. fact, not even the top 
15. Like, the next five are all yeah. Marvel as well. You got a uh, Star Wars book, Captain America book, another Spider-Man book, uh, and then a Venom book, and then a Ghost Rider book. <laughs> you have to go all the way down to 16 on Wednesday to get do a Powerbomb issue 6. <laughs> okay, I gotta get caught up on that. <laughs> I've read the first two. I have them all. I just need to get in clear some time. Where did Dark Ride come up at? Uh, Dark Raid. Uh, that looks like it's number twenty. Oh, sorry, okay. no, number twenty-five. I'll roll down. Gotcha. Sorry. Um, uh, I mean, to be yeah. fair, I don't think any of the indie books in this particular Wednesday, just from a glance, it doesn't seem like there's any big ones, except maybe the latest issue of Turtles, which is quite far down. Yeah. But otherwise, it's not a lot of big titles that I'm wreck. Whereas next week. You know, this is the sort of thing, if it was issue one next week, I'd say we should try it, but unfortunately it's uh-huh. issue 26 or something like that, but uh, everything's killing the children is uh, yeah. out next week. So I expect that to crack the top 10 next week. But, you know, there was nothing like that this week that's like, oh, that's huge, everyone's reading that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, that's basically it, that's the Comicsology top 10 for the week. Uh, yeah. So, good stuff. Alright, um... Okay, well, we have to get sad for a minute, because uh, there's one mm-hmm. bit of real news this week, and it's not happy news. Uh, it, this hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday. Uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Conroy, who played Batman in the Batman mm-hmm. animated series, and several of the animated movies, and the Arkham video games, and probably other projects that I can't even begin to I mean, list. I feel like he's our, he's our generation's Batman more than any of the, t- or any of the movie actors, you know? Uh... At least to me, it's not. So. I mean, it's not even our generation. I don't think it's. It's. But anyway, he, he passed away at the age of sixty six <laughs> this week, and he was sick for a while, so it wasn't like a surprise to yeah. his, you know, loved ones or anything like that. But obviously, it's the sort of thing. It stays kind of private from the from the general public. Yeah. So, um, yeah, kind of heavy like a ton of bricks. It's one of those things where it, obviously it's a bit young. Sixty six is not, you know, mm-hmm. an old age to be passing away at. Um, it. He's a kind of a fundamental. If you're a DC Comics fan, if you're a Batman fan, he's kind of a fundamental sound of your like mm-hmm. life. I <laughs> when I read Batman, that's the voice that I hear. You know, uh, always has been. I don't know so, if I hear any particular voice when I read mm-hmm. necessarily, but it's you know, re- regardless, like the animated series is very much I think what made. Not necessarily what made me a Batman fan, but it's the thing that when I look back at those early years, it's the one that stood mm-hmm. the test of time, whereas other yeah. Batman things at the time haven't. And that that's that's going back so so far. Like he he was doing the the video games, uh, you know, Ar- the Arkham games. They started mm-hmm. in what like two thousand nine, but yeah. Arkham Knight, the fourth one, was twenty fifteen. You know, that's only seven years ago, uh, and he was still doing some of the movie projects up until relatively mm-hmm. recently. So it, it's. He's he's had this long tenure. He he was basically playing the character for about thirty years, all, yeah. all things considered. Um, and he he showed up on Crisis on Infinite Earths, right? On the CW as Batman. Yeah, he did. He played uh yeah. like a what do we call it? Um, Kingdom Come, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Wayne, effectively. I mean, it kind of swerved into not being exactly, but he looked like that version with the with, right? with the braces and the all mm-hmm. that stuff. So yeah. So, so he got to even do it in live action a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and that was only, what, like two or three years ago? Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's one of the few ones that I met. I met him at a Comic-Con years ago. Uh, and just couldn't have been nicer. Um, 
you know, I have a signed, I have a signed thing. It's it's framed in my bedroom. It's the one Batman thing I have on display. <laughs> um, but I mean, he is he is my favorite Batman. Uh, a lot of fond memories of, of you know watching the show, and again, I hear his voice when I read the character. Um, and in fact, someone standing behind me that I was talking to in line told him that, and he looked a little bit weirded, but also like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, super nice dude when I got to meet him. And uh, seemed to love meeting all the fans. I mean, that's so. everything I've been seeing on Twitter from like people who knew him was they're just mm-hmm. all praising how nice he is and how you know how much of a kind guy he was and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up watching Mask of the Phantasm mm-hmm. last night. Just to, it, it was something that was coming up anyway on stream, but I kind mm-hmm. of like shifted it around because it was like, well, with this news, we should do it yeah. tonight. Yeah, uh, and that's a really good performance by him too because he's playing Batman a little bit differently. Mm. in master of the phantasm it you know it is a it's an actual like role he's not just doing the, the cartoony stuff yeah and uh, it, they sort of tries to do a little bit of uh like the, the animated series version mm-hmm. of his origin effectively mm-hmm. is in that movie so it's it's interesting to see see all the different sort of and obviously he does the old age batman and, and mm-hmm. batman beyond and yep. you know you got all these different versions that he's done through the years uh, but there's kind of a thrill line to them all, where they all feel like they're part of the same world because it's him. Mm-hmm. You know, having ha- having yeah. Mark Hamill. Yeah, for sure. I remember when the news dropped. It was a bunch of weirder sites that were, um, that were were tweeting that out. And with everything that's been going on with Twitter, it, it was one of those things like I need to know from a, like an, a proper source before I can you know buy this because it did seem to come out of left field. And then once I had seen Paul Dini. You know, basically confirm it. That, that's when I got sad. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of these less reputable places, they'll get a wind of it before anyone yep. wants to actually say anything. So you have to doubt it for a little bit. But yep. I think by the time I saw it, though, I, I, I there was already on like some of the major places. So yeah. So, but yeah, very very sad times. Uh, he's a legend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't really have much more to to mm-hmm. add, but. Uh, it's funny because we're getting to that age now <laughs> that some people from our childhood are really starting to go mm-hmm. I think the one that hurt me or hit me the, the hardest first was probably Bill Paxton who also mm-hmm. sort of died in his early 60s Yeah, and uh, that was just like whoa 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 I was not ready for him to go yet he was still mm-hmm. quite healthy seemingly <laughs> like why, yeah. why, why all of a sudden is he not here anymore uh, yeah. so, so Kevin Conroy's adding to that list of like okay people I grew up caring about are starting to yeah. pass away and it's it really sucks so mm-hmm. yeah when harrison ford goes i'm gonna be a wreck and i've never even met him you know <laughs> I mean, at least uh, he's in his 80s though <laughs> yeah i know but I, it's always one of those times and like he's had so many plane accidents and whatnot that yeah, i always feel like you know it's gonna come at any time but uh i don't know he's got luck on his side or whatever he's got guardian angel but yeah, no, he's he's that's an actor that's very important to my upbringing, uh, and yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the others that, that hit me like that. I mean, uh, Carrie Fisher, that one hit me. Um, Robin Williams, but that was years ago at this point. So you know, it's it's just weird mourning a celebrity because you they're not you know, you don't know them personally. However, we spend a lot of time with these people. You know, he said we're talking about uh, Conroy, all the times he's been Batman, right? Uh, he spent a lot of time with him, uh, at least with his voice. 
So it's just one of these weird, weird, weird things of, of human experience. Yeah, it's just it's kind of, it's not the same as knowing someone personally, but like Mm-mm. when someone who's you, who you've like connected with because you've connected mm-hmm. through their, their work, their art, if, you, if it meant yep. something to you, there is more than just a stranger dying. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it is, I know, it's, a, it's a weird middle ground. It still hit, hits yeah. you a little bit. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, so Kevin Conway passed away. Sad to hear. And uh, obviously could not mention it on a DC Comics podcast because yep. it's kind of important to a lot of our childhoods at this point. So, yeah. Uh, well. We can Do you have any, any brighter news? I don't think so, to be honest. No. Is, that, is that it this week? <laughs> I didn't see any other news. Let me just skim this so we don't go out on a downer. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think Celeste's from next week, so, you know, yeah. they're, they're probably saving saving stuff for yeah. that. <laughs> so far, when I go to Newsarama, all of the news things are Marvel. There's no DCAC. Uh, so, that is kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, shoot. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't got any excitement. I got nothing. I, I, no. Yeah, I don't know. I just checked. Nothing, nothing. Uh, it says what it says. Uh, mm-hmm. But there you go. This is, these weeks come, you just have to take them and get through them yep. and hopefully come out on the other side feeling better. So... Yeah, uh, with the punches. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess we'll just get to the books then, because... Uh, uh, I, I don't, it's weird to segue into tangenty things from from that. So, uh, I think we'll just go straight into the comics this week and get diving into things. So, mm-hmm. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths issue six, Joshua Williamson writing with Daniel Sampier on the art, the penultimate issue mm-hmm. in the uh, in the in the event, and I have to say that like there's stuff in this issue I really liked. Uh, there's also yeah. some things in this issue that felt a little out of left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say tacked on per se, but it kind of felt like some... <sighs> it felt like by the end of this issue, we had dealt with Pariah, and we seemed to have shifted like, the main f- focus of the threat onto someone who didn't feel like he was as big a deal in the book. No, before. no, but but when we get to that point, I appreciate Williamson trying to make it feel like a big deal. Um, sure. Because I really like that reveal and with what that character says. But yeah, it almost seems like the the pariah story ran out of juice and it got fixed when the Justice League finally shows back up. But it never felt fulfilling. Um, so I don't know. I think the, again, the other problem with the pariah story ending is that it ends because... The MacGuffin that a group of characters mm-hmm. got in a one shot that wasn't that good, yep. I think, ultimately, ended up just being this like instant win device in this yep. issue. At least as far as Pariah goes. Uh, obviously, yeah. the Great Darkness is still infecting someone, and we still have to mm-hmm. you know, deal with that in the, the final issue. And I'm sure yep. there'll be a big thing that happens for the ending. Yeah. But... yeah, yeah, yeah. But it definitely felt like it wrapped up too neatly, too quickly with Pariah, because we had this whole issue with, with the one you're talking about where. They use the green to go into the darkness and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole whole concept that Pariah is using the great darkness, not the great darkness using Pariah. And it just, when when Pariah gets what he wants, which is the return of his earth, he just kind of disappears. Like he, he does the, you know, the, the flash ending from 
the original crisis where he disintegrates. But you're assuming he's going to his his Earth, um, there. But yeah, I was just I was like, what? A, what? A, this is going way too quick. I felt. Um, yeah, there were. I mean, there's things I like in this issue. I like uh, you know all the various Titan-esque characters fighting the big fight. Um, I like uh, probably the best moment of the issue is uh, John trying to buy time for the others to use the device, and mm-hmm. he gets the shit kicked out of him to the point where he's about to get killed by a Doomsday, and that's when and I you know it's very telegraphed. You can see, you know exactly what's going to happen yeah. when you turn the page. You know that's when Superman's going to be back and like to, like uh-huh. help him and save him. It, but uh, it still lands. It's yeah. still a great moment. Yeah. yeah, you turn the page and, you know, Clark's holding Doomsday's yeah. fist and it's like, no, he's here now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a great big dramatic moment. It, it, it's really well done. Um, yeah. There's a weird... Uh, so did you... So early on in the book, right, we were mm-hmm. at the Justice League and they're talking about getting back to the main Earth and mm-hmm. uh, something to do with using... The, the light of the green Latin ring or whatever to get back, yeah, blah, blah, blah. The brave and the bold, you know, yeah. thing. So, yeah. what was all this thing with Ollie? Like, so he makes, he gives this speech about how we yeah. have to risk it and try and get home, which is fine. But then there's kind yeah. of this weird implication that he's at risk by doing so, like specifically him. It. So the way that I took it is it's kind of like when you're reading World's Finest, where someone has to shut the door, right? And it's almost like he was volunteering to be the one that gets left behind. That's how I read it. Um, so, but I don't know because I didn't get any of that, like, information beforehand. Yeah, right? I, I just, it, this, this felt kind of weird to me. Like, I don't think it mm-hmm. clearly defined what exactly yeah. was going on. I, I felt like I was missing a page. Yeah. Right? Like. Very yeah. odd, very odd. I mean, you know, I appreciated Barry and Hal swapping catchphrases, you know, yep. when they were getting powering up and stuff. But, uh, yeah, that was a bit weird for me, I thought. Um. You know, I appreciate all these, like, C-listers coming in to help with the big fight during mm-hmm. the war and then immediately getting infected with the Great Darkness. Yep. <laughs> like, just instantly. Sorry, Firestorms. Boom, boom, boom. Sorry, Blue yep. Beetle. Y- 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 your efforts Booster. were in vain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got a good um, chuckle out of that. Yeah, yeah, Well, and I like, too, that it's it's the Titans that are kind of left standing, right? And it's... Looking at this in a meta context, it's Williamson saying, like, you know, Nightwing is still central to to the dcu and he's he's the last you know line of defense here uh, but so the fact that the the justice league come up to support him um i, I really like that moment as well yeah like i say the best moment is probably not only like superman showing up to like block doomsday from mm-hmm. punching john but just the build up to it where john's yep. remembering these moments from his past mm-hmm. as he's like fighting dark side and aries yeah. and like you know all these yeah. major villains He's getting the the utter crap kicked out of him, and yeah, he's having these happy memories, and you feel like, oh, this is it for John. Um, again, but even though it's telegraphed, it's still done effectively. Yeah. Williamson and Sam Pierre. Um, so so yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a weird issue because I felt like I was missing something, but it was still like, like you said, it still had those big moments that it it does well. So, yeah, this this felt like some of that weaker later flash run Williamson was creeping mm-hmm. in a bit here, where it just didn't feel well enough to establish some of the things that were happening. Yeah, I don't know. Superman shows up. That's where the the story kind of is. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so yeah, so the big ending is that uh, the Great Darkness is passed into mm-hmm. 
or at least it's still around inside Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. So now Deathstroke's going bananas, and he's right. got a dick by the throat. He's got his daughter by the throat, and he's saying that uh, I'm not done till all of you are dead. But this just feels so weird though, because yeah. the entire story's been about Pariah doing his thing and controlling everyone, and now all of a sudden we're shifting to Deathstroke as if he's the main bad guy. I don't know. It's a bit weird. Right. So, so for for me, the way that I interpreted all this was. Deathstroke was the one that Pariah was acting through, right? He was the one that was building the army. And so, whereas Pariah was the one that was corrupting the Great Darkness, now that mentality has shifted to Deathstroke because he says that his contract isn't fulfilled. Which, that that's the thing that I really liked at that last page, you know, is because that's, you know, always been his thing. Is he's he's going to finish out, you know, he's as, is as good as his word. He's going to finish the job. Um, and so I don't know how they're going to get out of this with the great darkness. If there's, you know, that magic wind machine can, can work on <laughs> Deathstroke, you know, cause what does Deathstroke want besides to win? Um, but yeah, he also had this really good moment with, with, uh, Gar where, you know, he, he basically tells him that he'll, he'll actually end him this time. Last time was, you know, to, to test his limits. And I thought that was really good. But, yeah, he's just maniacal there at the end, saying that he's going to finish out his contract. And I was like, all right. That's a little bit weird, but uh, I, I appreciate the moment nonetheless. Yeah, I just feel like there was a complete shift at the end where it's trying to, like, like I just don't care about this cliffhire. It just feels like such a... If this was an earlier issue cliffhire, that'd be fine. But the fact that this comes after seemingly Pariah's been dealt with mm-hmm. just makes it feel like, wait, this is the cliffhire going to the final issue. I, this feels, like, so deflating when it should be like the final big ramp up before the, you know, I was expecting them to hold off on the Justice League return till the last page to give you this big hopeful cliffhanger mm-hmm. before it goes into the final issue. Right. And instead, we kind of like do all that quite easily and then it's just, oh, now Deathstroke's kind of in charge of everything. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. maybe, I'm sure there's going to be more to it next issue, yeah. but as far as this cliffhanger on its own goes, I'm just kind of deflated, which is a shame. I didn't, I didn't want to feel that way. So... Um, well, there's some of my, f- so some really great moments in this issue that are some of the best of the entire, like, you know, book, you know, in terms of the series, but it's also probably the most disappointing issue as a whole because it is so deflating mm-hmm. by the end to me. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Sometimes I, I always feel like when you have one of these, the penultimate issue should be the big climax. And this felt like we didn't get that, you know, cause I feel like issue seven should be kind of the come down. And the reestablishing of the new status quo, um, and and you know other creators have done that effectively when they have the seven issues. Here, it just felt like it felt to. Well, the I don't say nothing. I would no, but... I would say it does do the climax because the climax is them beating Pariah. It just it's it's now pretending that there's another big thing to do. <laughs> right, and that's what I mean. Is like, I, but the climax didn't have a like again. It didn't feel fulfilling. Like Pariah just disappears. You know, so. Like, yeah, there's a climax there, but it doesn't feel like the climax, of, at least to me. So... Oh, no, it's regardless of how it feels. I'm just saying that that is yeah. technically the climax of what the story's actually been about up until this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there'll be some stuff in the final issue that makes me sort of reconsider that, but yeah, at least right now, um, this is probably the, the, the... This is the lowest I felt at the end of one of these issues, just because it feels like it's... Uh, tacking on some extra story rather than feeling mm-hmm. like it ended its story in a big way and it's we're going to have an epilogue issue which would be fine i'd be down with that because there's usually a lot of stuff to 
clear up after a big event like this. So, so an epilogue issue makes a lot of sense. Uh, this instead feels... This just feels like a weird swerve to have another issue with a big fight. And mm-hmm. I don't think I need another big fight. Like, I'm fine with not having a big fight after this. Like, we've, we've done plenty of fight. It's fine. <laughs> like, leave it be. I mean, they are yeah. very good. Some peers, you know, he's been solid throughout. Uh, he obviously gets to do a lot of different characters here. He gets to do a lot of the villains as well. His big two-page spread of the Justice League with the Green Lantern Corps returning... Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's very pretty. It's a very, you know, John's event style two-page spread. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the big moment where Superman blocks Doomsday Punch uh, looks really nice. You've got all the sort mm-hmm. of rocks flying up in the foreground. You've got the sort of circular motion. You can sort of feel the, the shock wave of the, the punch being blocked coming off of it. Mm-hmm. It's all very nice stuff. Uh, so, yeah, the art is pretty good throughout. Uh, I, I enjoyed the art quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> no, nothing. I mean, it's Ampere. Like, it's you know, we're it's good. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to go back. There was one page. I read this earlier in the week, so I have to look. Oh, it's the page where uh, where Darkseid tears Frankenstein into, um, and that that looks that looks you know disgusting in the best way. So Ampere gets to have a little bit of fun. With stuff like that. Oh, I'll, so. I'll make one. Ma- this is a very minor critique, but uh, on yeah. the section where it's the Justice League before they come home, so they're in mm-hmm. you know, whatever Earth they're, they're still on. Yeah. Um, there's a a sort of further back shot where I didn't know who someone was talking to because mm-hmm. it's it turned out it's Batman because I, I, yeah. compared to the other panels, the purple cape that Batman's wearing in this weird alternate Earth, but mm-hmm. uh, there's no ears on this like smaller panel. Uh, so you know, it looks like some sort of purple Doctor Midnight or something from behind. And it, yeah, I just, I just, it's one of those things that threw me for a second. I'm like, who's that? And I'm like, oh no, it's Batman. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're you're talking on the uh, in between the Wally and Hal pages, yeah, panels, yeah, yeah. So that's just a very minor thing. It's a minor critique. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be too harsh about it, but for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. No. It's uh, again. It, it's. Good, not great, I would say. This whole issue. Hmm. Okay. All right. What are you rating the uh, Dark Crisis issue six? I'm I'm gonna give this a seven. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a. I'll go six point five. Uh, there's things in it I really like, but there's also some weird choices and yeah. stuff that just makes it feel less, less uh, structurally sound as an event book. It feels like it's the it's it's I don't know. Um, it is reminding me of some of the weird choices uh, Williams has made before in other books mm-hmm. that have left me feeling like not that he doesn't know what he's doing but like it's almost like he's trying to like go against like traditional structuring in an arc for mm-hmm. the sake of being different but there's a reason why unless you are a genius there's a reason why sticking to the established yeah. structure is why you do it <laughs> but I don't right. know. whatever well it was like I learned in, in film school right is you you want to follow the rules until you're confident that you can break them for a reason. Yes. Uh, yeah. So in here, it's you, you still need to follow the rules because when you do stuff like this, when you break the rules, but it doesn't look like it's justified, it just kind of leaves people confused. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So the new Golden Age issue one, Jeff John's writing, uh, and there's uh, like 20 Numerous. artists. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of artists credited on this book. Well, and I feel like too, they added all of the, um, the art in the back half of it. 
which is a lot of like um uh what is it uh, secret file pages mm-hmm. i feel like those are a lot of different artists as well because the art's pretty consistent throughout this so because i was looking for breaks like you know when they go to different time streams or whatever we're calling them i you can tell the art change but other than that it's all fairly consistent so. just, just for the record here's a list of the artists uh Diego Olorterga uh and JP Mayer are together and then you got mm-hmm. Scott Hanna, Jerry Ordway, Steve Lieber, Todd Nuck, Scott Collins, Victor Bogdanovich, Brandon Peterson and Gary Frank. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a lot of names. That's a that's yes. a lot of names. Uh so this is a kind of a wild book. This is doing it so I'm not exa- entirely sure, like, is this set in continuity before things changed? Is this set in an alternate Earth kind of mm. thing? It's a bit unclear right now. Obviously, you've got a little bit of, uh, you know, what do we call it? Uh, Doomsday Clock. Yep, there's a little Doomsday Clock, a little in. bit of Flash, yeah, a little bit of Flashpoint Beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in here. So, uh, and a lot of Justice Society from from different interpretations yeah um, well i mean that's the main thing in the book uh, like yeah. uh, it, it's basically going through these different time periods and it jumps around a lot um mm-hmm. i actually have an article up from newsarama that sort of puts them in order just in case we want to oh shoot look, look at that but um we start off with young helena wayne uh mm-hmm. which is about 10 years in the future and she talks about this red-headed, or ginger menace, I should say. Uh, this, yeah. this villain who, like, sometimes she sees in the corner of her eye that is kind of creepy and freaks her out. And she she wants rid of him. And then as the story goes on, we get these different slices of time from the GSA history. Uh, and some of it's about Dr. Fate kind of seeing some of the future and how this, this ginger character seems to be going through time backwards and killing every iteration of the GSA always yep. starting with Dr. Fate. So that's a summary of the whole thing because it's hard to kind of like tease it out the way the book does in conversation. So that's just me yeah. kind of, that, that's kind of where we get to by the end. That's what this, this character is doing. So is this, yeah, and here, th- this is the big remind, threat, you know? Yeah. He reminds me of a younger per Degaton. Mm. who's an old school uh, justice society. So I'm sure there'll be relations to there. Cause it feels like, the one thing I can count on when Johns tackles the Justice Society is it's always about legacy, and it's always the younger heroes working with the older heroes, uh, and we get that a lot here. Uh, and then the fact that we know this is about the missing thirteen, you know, these thirteen characters we've never heard of before, um, and they all seem to be sidekick slash legacy characters. You know, it would not surprise me if that too this this ginger menace ends up being is someone. You know, it's kind of a legacy that's trying to do what their predecessor couldn't do, and that's to destroy the Justice Society, uh, especially with timey-wimey shenanigans. Yeah, the other uh, part of this is you've got the Time Masters going back through time. It seems like mm-hmm. they have fixed time and brought the JSA back, which might mean mm-hmm. that that's in the regular continuity that they've brought them back, but mm-hmm. they're acknowledging that there's these 13 sidekicks are missing, like they've not mm-hmm. quite succeeded in bringing everyone back that they intended right. to. So that's something that's kind of teased throughout the book as well. So yep. this is this is one of these weird things where it does remind me a little bit of, uh, of a Doomsday Clock issue and the way it's jumping around. 
Yep. Um, and the way it's like hinting at a lot of big things that you know the GSA ongoing seems like it's going to be the, you know tackling, which is yeah. cool. Uh, but you've obviously got Helena Wayne uh, as a prominent character kind of in the later part of the timeline. You've got the classic GSA in the 40s. You've got these new legacy characters in the future, some of them very far in the future. Mm-hmm. I think it was the year 3000-something. Uh, yeah. So you've got all, all of this going on and the book's jumping around. And it does flow quite well. Like, it reads quite well when you're reading it. It's just hard mm-hmm. to talk about it when it's jumping around all this time so much. Yeah. So... Uh, Yes, so that that's the that's the the broad strokes of it. So I mean, look looking at some of these scenes here. You got Helena away at the start. Uh, you know, she makes a snow angel and it looks like a bat, and then the other character, or, the other kid says a cat. cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. So very very smart. And mm-hmm. what we get her later is that like she, Selena is mad because uh, Helena thinks there's an intruder in the house, and it's actually just Batman coming home, and she ends up stabbing Batman, and mm-hmm. this is how she learns that her father's Batman, and he shows her the Batcave. But this pisses off Selina because she's like, no, you promised our kid would never be a Robin, that she would never put on a cape, and this is... Mm-hmm. Now she knows it's going to happen, it's going to lead to that, and we see all the all the, uh, the Robin the, costumes of the, the past. All of, yeah, the all of fallen Robins. And, yeah, and it sounds uh, like they've all died, for the way that yes. they talk about this. <laughs> Which, which wouldn't surprise me if this is all Earth 2 stuff because of the JSA, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that we, I had remember reading the, the Robinson version back in the day. And this was the, you know, um, Helena becoming Huntress because Selena forbid it, you know? So she's like, well, I'm not, I'm not Batwoman. I'm not, you know, the new Bat. I'm my own thing. Uh, and I forget how Batman had died there uh, for, for her to, to do it. But yeah. Um, I just seen that Hollow Robins really cracked me up, and like, yeah, no, Selena's right. Keep your kid out of a red and yellow costume, please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it's it's uh pretty good stuff. Um, the the, the general idea that um mm-hmm. to switch over to Doctor Fate stuff is that at one so at one point we get the present day stuff with Khalid, who's kind of like learning to be the new Doctor Fate, mm-hmm. and he has this vision of the the year three thousand Doctor Fate being killed, which we saw earlier in the book. And he misinterprets it and says, I think I saw myself die. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. He saw another Dr. Fate die. I mean, he should still be scared because right. this guy's still coming for him. But right. uh, it's, it's interesting to sort of like, like point and like notice his mistake and sort of understand it as the audience. I think that's quite smart because mm-hmm. uh, it makes us feel like we're like, it's an understandable thing that he gets wrong, but we yep. kind of like get a bit of insight to it, which is uh, kind of cool. Well, yeah, because he doesn't know it's, uh, you know, a thousand years in the future. Yeah, yeah. He just he just sees. Yeah, he's just seeing the death of a of a fate, um, or the death of fate. Maybe that's a, another thing here in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it seems like the story in the forties. We're going to see how these original missing characters, mm-hmm. or at least some of them, how they fit into the story. Because one of them yeah. is the the Red Lantern, who's the Soviet like Golden Age <laughs> villain. I I love that. That's what you can always count on the Golden Age, is that there's always going to be a Soviet counterpart. To, oh sure. To our you know, uh, what I like about it is that obviously, like Golden Age Green Lantern is very separate mm-hmm. from Green Lantern Core and all mm-hmm. these other Green Lantern concepts. I like the idea that there's a Red Lantern for back then, mm-hmm. but it's got nothing to do with a Red Lantern Core or atrocities no. or anything like that. This is the no. Soviet Lantern. He's, <laughs> he's red, yeah. He's red because he's a Soviet. Yes, you know, it's like Rocket Red, um, and and yeah, um, and he looks just like in in the the backup section. He looks a lot like the, his costume looks a lot like Alan's. Oh yeah, um, yeah. In in that you know type of way. 
In fact, it's, it's that's the couple of pages where it's like the guy's mm-hmm. looking at the newspaper. It's like Alan and so- is talking to someone and looking at the newspaper, and uh-huh. it's bringing this up. It's at the end of that scene where you see the uh, the mysterious villain who's kind of watching. He like steps on like a a mm-hmm. time pad or something and seems to go into the you know yep. a, a little bit further ahead where he's in the fifties, and the GSA are at this uh, this hearing because they're the, mm-hmm. the the government are trying to get them to unmask <laughs> for yep. reasons. Which which is the the people versus the Justice Society, which is like a yes. famous story. Oh, so the, yeah. Now yeah. you mentioned that you're right, right. But there's a moment later on. Um, mm-hmm. Is this where Doctor Fate in the seventies is getting checked because he's had another yep. like vision like he did in the forties? Um, there's like a casual reference to something that happened earlier that week, and there's an editor's note saying, "Yeah, and so and so issue." Like, I was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, John, you're just flexing. You're just flexing that you yeah. can reference this this event from a comic issue from the 1970s." And and you know what? When I when I used to read, um, uh, back in the day before we had the internet, mm-hmm. I appreciated him bringing that knowledge because then I would know I could check out All Star Comics 61 to you know to see a, a building fall on top of dr fate you know joe what's so funny about these missing 13 characters is that i think they had to point out that these were new characters because the way john's pulls from dc history i could have totally believed that they were all real and i just didn't know who they were (laughs) i'm not gonna be surprised if some of them do have real counterparts oh sure yeah you you know that, that he you know that for whatever reason they're just doing this version of them um but someone like like the mr terrific sidekick i fully would have believed that was a a character from back in the day. Um, it's kind of like the century that way, where for the longest time, I believe they really found these old Marvel documents of a lost hero from the 60s. And all to come out, that was all a hoax, meant to sell comics, you know? Um, yeah. But but here, I mean, it, and it shows what his knowledge of the DC universe is like, that he could make them feel like, you know, they are from that era. Yeah, uh, and we see Dr. Fate about 13 years a go from now, uh, him running into Catwoman and having another one of his visions, which uh, we actually get a name for the villain here. It's not a name name, but like something no. to call him. He calls him the Stranger. So I guess that's yeah. what we'll call him now, rather than the Ginger Menace. Even though I think Ginger Menace has a has a right I, to. I it. think. Yep, I think so too. Yeah, but uh, the Ginger Stranger. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but he says to Catwoman, "Oh, like I saw the Stranger is going to kill your daughter," and she's like, "I'm not going to have a daughter. I'm Catwoman, you know." <laughs> I'm not one for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, which I actually loved that after that page, when you turn the page, you go straight to Helena in the in the Batcave, which is a nice yep. kind of transition and an omen. Yeah. Um, with with also the snow globe, which. Which reminded me of Flashpoint Beyond. Oh, of course, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Snow Globe's there. So and it's the very next page you see Corky mm-hmm. from who was in yep. Flashpoint Beyond a lot uh, at the ends of the books, mm-hmm. talking to John Wilkes Booth, telling him that he's going to assassinate a president one day. Which that's super bold. You don't you don't want to do that. Well, uh, obviously he's trying to talk him out of doing it, but yep. it sounds like he's convinced him to do it because the guy's like, yep. "Oh, everyone will know my name." Yep. Oh, that sounds great. It's almost like yep. he's inadvertently caused it. Uh, yep. So, you know, good fun stuff. Uh, but yeah, there's some little teases here that I, you know, like, t- they're kind of d- disconnected from everything else. Uh, it's mm-hmm. right after they're, they're arguing in the uh, the time bubble. But mm-hmm. you see Mame and Marionette from Doomsday Clock, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks like someone's looking for their kid, right? Maybe it's yep. a stranger who's looking for their kid. Yep. Um. And then the 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 sort of the girl who's replaced Ozymandias, 
Um, yep. And then we see the Dr. Manhattan symbol on, uh, I presume, Sally's head? Or yeah. possibly their kid's head? Yeah, I'm not sure, because it's someone that has a lot of hair. Yeah. So, it's not the baby. Um, it's a lot of teasies. There's a lot of teasies yeah. here. Uh, I didn't realize this until just now, but um, Mime is painting without a roller. <laughs> uh, so, which, again, good, good on good on the art for, for pulling that together. Um, That's such a subtle thing. You could easily miss uh-huh. that. You could easily uh-huh. miss that. But yeah, you look and he's, you know, marionettes painting the, the nursery. Yeah. He has his hands empty, but he's like, it's holding something, which, uh, yeah. Um, and obviously this but, is the Gary Frank uh, yes. page. Yep. Surprising no one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And which, I know- which I'm glad they're choosing to pay off some elements of Doomsday Clock, even though I would also be fine with them never touching it again. You know, I think they get so. away with it here because the Time Masters are going through and fixing the timeline. Yeah. It doesn't. It's just almost like it doesn't matter because ultimately right. it's going to be fixed into the timeline anyway. Uh, <laughs> and another big thing in the future, of course, is that Batman is killed and uh, the police come to tell Selina. Yep. Um, and we have some old age versions of uh, some of the GSA, uh, you know, to to comfort her, mm-hmm. uh, which is the final page. And Helene is like, you know someone murdered my father and I'm going to find him. I'm going to throw him off a goddamn building because I'm the goddamn Huntress. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so there's like to be continued in GSA issue yep. one, which is, I mean, I, I was excited for a John's ongoing. I'm definitely excited after this because this was such mm-hmm. a tantalizing tease of like a lot of different stuff that he's playing with. Um, I know Connor was a bit down in the idea of like it being John's again. And I get why yeah. he said that, but mm-hmm. This feels like he's doing GSA in the style that he did Doomsday Clock, which I think yep. is intriguing to me. Yeah, I feel like John's shifting ever so slightly from, hey, this is the secret history of the DCU, right? Where he's pulling stuff from actual continuity, from stuff like, you know, Alan Moore had done Green Lantern Corps, or stuff from The Flash from back in the day. This feels more like... Yes, this is the secret history in quotes of the JSA, but it's all new stuff. Yeah, you know they're not they're not these big retcons because it feels just like they're gonna massage the time stream back, and he's just gonna be able to tell this almost self-contained story. Um, uh, and and I'm excited for that because it's it's been a while since you know we all love Doomsday Clock, right? And it's felt like that was forever ago. So I'm I'm here for more of this type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but just not to say that I feel as strongly on this as I did issue one of Doomsday Clock, but mm-hmm. uh, I definitely was getting some of those vibes from some of the things that it was doing. And certainly this jumping around the timeline and, you know, it's not quite doing Dr. Manhattan, uh, even though there's a reference to Dr. Manhattan in it, but, you know, it mm-hmm. it does kind of have a similar feel the way you're jumping around back and forth and building some of the narrative out of things. So... Mm-hmm. But yeah, we come out of this with obviously Huntress wanting to avenge her father. We come out of this with the missing 13. And we come out of this with the stranger going back through time, killing the GSA. And I'm sure they're all connected in the end, but that those yep. seem like the three separate plots that were kind of following getting into issue one of GSA, mm-hmm. which is which is cool. Uh, and that's starting next month, uh, what I say? Yeah. Oh, no, it's this month. It's November. Is it November? I thought it's December. I think it may be this month. All right, let's. I'm gonna prove because the Star Girl book's next week. Yeah, Star Girl is next week, and then 
Let's see, the 23rd. Nope. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Maybe it's December. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's it's the a fifth week, so that's why. Ah. It's on the it's on the thirtieth with a bunch of other annuals. Ah. So interesting. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh. So. Oh, cool. Um. Obviously, it's the art throughout is very very good. There's a lot of good artists mm-hmm. in this book. Uh. It's weird to judge overall because it is jumping around so much. Um. It feels relatively justified as it does it because it's jumping into different timelines, different you know parts of the continuity with very different characters. Having Frank on the Doomsday Clock reference page <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, so it's a really hard book to judge art-wise because of that. But I can't remember very many pages that I didn't like. Like most pages had some someone of quality doing the art, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's tough to say. There's, there's a lot of nice pages in here. Uh, as yes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, and I like how each of the different times are distinct, too. Like, you're not... You, you know you're in a different setting from just the way the art shifts. Yeah, because you only get the caption within the year mm-hmm. the first time you go to that time period. Yep. When it goes back to some of them a second mm-hmm. time, or a third time even, it doesn't give you the caption again, so you just get it from the context and the art from, oh, this is continuing the mm-hmm. young Helena story in 13 years' time. This is continuing, uh, you know the present day stuff or whatever it is you know you get it from the art which is which is good uh so i will say this though i did feel feel the upgrade in writing from going from like john's with probably doing the 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 story but two other writers scripting it from flashpoint beyond to this which is just john's doing it all Mm -hmm. and it just it felt stronger because of that (laughs) yeah well it makes me wonder if because of all the time master stuff if he actually did write that because the time master's voice seemed to match from flashpoint beyond you know, oh, so, yeah. you know, not not to take away from the other two, from Sheridan and, uh, and, um, Adams, Adams, you know, maybe they're just really good at that too, but that seemed to be consistent across the way. So, mm-hmm. um, but you yeah, know, I'm, I'm excited for this. This is exactly my, my type of jam when it comes to comics. Um, this is why I, I got into comics originally. That's because of John's, um, I started reading on basically a weekly basis. So, yeah. Yeah, um, so just to briefly touch on this before we rate the book, there is yep. some secret file stale pages at the back of yep. the missing 13 characters. So there's an Aquaman who, it says, full name unknown, brief alias as Adam Waterman. Very golden age. Yes. Very golden age. Definitely, definitely. Um, um, uh, also in the art, there is him throwing what looks like a polar bear. Um, at Hunters, and that cracks me up. I, I see that, yes. Uh, yeah. Very good. Uh, also, I'm not sure if he comes from Atlantis, or, I mean, there's a, yeah. little, there's a history here that I could read, yeah. but I haven't read it. Uh, yeah, but no. there's a, in the art, there's like a scientist, and like then this Aquaman's like strapped to a chair. It, almost as yeah. if this is how he got his powers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's true. Uh, people who have read all of this could tell me. Uh, next up, we got Betsy Ross and Molly Pitcher, who are mm-hmm. baseball-themed? American history themed. Okay. Um, Betsy Ross sewed, you know, um, legend has it, sewed the first flag of the United States. And the Molly Pitcher was a woman that um, was bringing out water that ended up manning a cannon during the Revolutionary War. So these two, I did read this one. Um, these two were sidekicks to Miss America, um, who seems like a lost character in and of herself. 
Um, but yeah, they had both gotten um, like uh, ma not magic, but legendary artifacts in the Revolutionary War that gives them powers. Um, and it says they vanished the day after World War II ended. Hmm, so, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, then we got Cherry Bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's name. a hu yeah? Who's a human bomb psychic from the Freedom Fighters? Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Got kind of like a like a yeah like a bomb disposal like safety yep. suit is effectively her costume. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, okay. And then we got the Harley Quinn Sun. Yep. Who's a as I was reading earlier is um. Uh, Alan Scott Green Lantern had a villain named Harlequin. This is apparently her son. Uh, and he fought Infinity Inc., which is Jade and Obsidian's team of, uh, you know, that legacy characters of the Justice Society. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Then we got John Henry Jr., uh, yep. obviously Steele's uh, son, uh, which is easy to get from context, but he has a very different mm -hmm. outfit. He's got like. Just like a, like it's like a black hood, but then he's just got like dungarees on, and he's holding the hammer. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Hood of Justice too from uh, from the Watchmen, which I think is interesting considering this ties into Doomsday Clock. Mm -hmm. But also, it says here his first appearance was in the New Frontier Six, which was the um, uh, what's his name, uh, Darwin Cook, which is his take on all the Cell Rage stuff. Mm -hmm. So interesting here um but yeah so we'll see how where, where he plays in uh to here because it's, it's seeming like ordway is doing half of them and then knock is doing the other yeah so i'm wondering if some are going to show up in star girl and some are going to show up in justice society uh very possible then we got yeah. the, the boom which is judy mm -hmm. garrick so yep uh so this is the the daughter of jane joan which Traditionally, they didn't have kids, right? right? They they couldn't have kids, yeah. which is why, you know, they were raising Bart as their own, basically. Uh, and as T's done this issue actually, because mm -hmm. uh, back in the other start when the JSA yeah. are having their their photograph taken, uh, they're getting fate to kind of like you know tell some of their futures, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, Garrick asks, oh, how many kids are me and Joan going to have?" Mm -hmm. And they get interrupted because Fate has his vision at the end. But it, yeah. it's kind of like teasing that there was about to be an answer. So that was a that was a tease for that. Uh, then we got uh, Ladybug. Yep. Who uh, seems like it comes from a a different Earth, right? Uh, let's see. Maybe not. <laughs> I thought I had read that because I had skimmed this one because I was like, oh, who's she? Um, but yeah, no. No, it doesn't seem like it. So, yeah, this is another knock one. So, uh, I'm wondering if a lot of these younger heroes are going to show up with Stargirl. Yeah, so it seems like she's connected to Red B. Yep. Uh, then we got Legionnaire, who's blacked mm -hmm. out, and everything's all uh, blacked out as if it's uh, redacted. So you can't read but anything. But also red, so I'm wondering if this is the the stranger. Um, oh yeah, this could be the stranger. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it does seem like he has time travel tech and yep, uh, the Legion ring. I would say that the hair looks mm -hmm. the right length based on yep. this uh, blacked out photo. Mm -hmm. uh, then we got a Mister Miracle. This is Thaddeus Brown. Yep, who was um, Shiloh Norman 
the other mm. uh, Mr. Miracle, that was his mentor. Uh, who's he also mentored Scott Free when Scott Free came to Earth. So I do like that Johns is going through and making Thaddeus Brown the first Mr. Miracle. Or the Golden Age Mr. Miracle, if you will. Yeah, that's neat. There we go. Mm-hmm. Quiz Kid. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the one that I would have believed just existed, but this is uh, Mr. Terrific's sidekick. So, uh, Smartest Boy in the World by Mr. Terrific. Interesting. Then we got Salem the Witch Girl, mm-hmm. who I think was referenced in this issue as well. Someone yep. talked about a girl th- and thinking her name was Salem, uh, or thinking she's from Salem, which I think was them yes. uh, messing up. Seems seems like a counterpart to Clarion the Witch Boy. Um, but yeah. Uh, is that a big truck outside your house? Yeah, it gar- it's garbage day. Yeah. So there. It's garbage it's, day! It is. Yeah. Uh there you go. And then Red Lantern, I think, rounds them out. Yep, it does. Yeah. Uh, which, obviously, you mentioned is the Soviet uh, equivalent of Green Lantern. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Very similar outfit, though. Uh, but he's got a beard. He's got a beard, and uh, uh, his cape is red with a what looks like a black t- uh, tunic. So, yeah. Just very much uh, what I would expect from a Golden Age Red Lantern character. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah. No, it was, it was fun looking through all these, even if I didn't bother mm-hmm. reading all the uh, history uh, descriptions. It, yeah. it was just nice to like get a sense of them all and look at them all, because uh, they're, they're going to be a big deal going forward, uh, by yep. the sounds of it, in the main story. So, uh, yeah, curious to see how that shapes up. All right, Matt, what are you giving the Golden Age issue one? I'm going to give this an eight. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree with that. I think uh, I'm intrigued by what it's setting up. It's nice to have a Jeff Johns comic again. Uh, it's a very obviously mixed bag of art, but the art's generally quite yeah. good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, yeah, but it's not a complete knockout the park either. Uh, no. You know, so, uh, yeah, I think 8 out of 10 is quite fair. Okay. Okay. All right, Batman versus Robin, issue 3, Mark Wade rating with Mohamed Hazar and, sorry, Mohamed Hazar. I was, I yeah. was adding the extra syllable. Uh, and Scott Godlewski on art. So, this, uh, continues you know the the journey between the two characters the 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 batman's with alfred or the demon formerly known as alfred yeah that was a a bummer oh come on the end of the last issue told you this (laughs) yes i know but i thought there might have been a twist upon a twist and uh Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah also we got batman versus the robins in this issue which was very Damien's basically lined it up so that he he goes back down the timeline until he gets to Dick. So he starts off with Mm -hmm. Tim, then Steph, and Jason, and then and then ultimately Dick, who's got the because they all they all get like weapons from uh, Neza and Mother Soul, so they all have extra abilities. uh, Tim's got an invisibility cloak. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to see because there's a page where he he divvies them out to them. Yeah, it's the first couple of pages. It's not quite far. Yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking for All it. Right. There it is. Uh, Jason gets a, a trident, which lets him control yeah. the water. A, a Poseidon. Yeah. Stephanie Brand gets the acoustic of Black Bison, which allows her to kind of control the environment around her. Basically, poison ivy kind of powers. Yeah, and then um, Dick gets it's Azrael's sword, the sword of sin. Um, so. I thought that was all interesting because it's like, well, how's how's Batman going to deal with these guys? Um. And and he does, but yeah, 
Um, also, Damien, man, I, I know he's under the influence of Neza, but man, he's stone cold here. When, when you get to the stuff with his mom, right? Oh, sure. Also, I mean, yeah. he... Obviously, he's got little glimmers coming through that he might be able to fight it, and he might be yep. able to get out of it. Uh, you know, the, the the pig character from... Shafu Pigsy. There you go. From Monkey yep. Prince uh, is trying to talk him into snapping it, because he's one of the, the magical characters that's been taken mm-hmm. to give fate more magic yep. power, because that's what they've been doing, the villains. Yep. So, you know, Batman insists on going alone, um, Damien's interrogating Talia, but we find out that this uh, comfortable room Talia's in is not real, and she's actually tied upside down, and all of this is just like in her head like they're just they're yep. making her think she's comfortable but she's not really she's you know she's uh mm-hmm. injurious shall we say but yeah. yeah a lot of the issue is batman fighting the various robins uh one by one and kind of mm-hmm. the robins sort of voicing their sort of deep resentments towards batman so they all come yep. from a place of truth but obviously they're all heightened because of this control that and, they've got and i love that that uh, bruce is sitting here going like trying to remind himself that they don't mean any of this. You know, these are just their, their personal mm. thoughts that they've had when they're in, in, a, in a tough spot. And he, you know, has to remind himself that it's not necessarily what they feel all the time. And I like that little bit of storytelling too, you know, cause they want, Damien wants to put Bruce at his lowest, you know, that's why he's designed it this way. Well, the beauty of it is, is that they <laughs> all do come from some sort of real place. Like t- yeah. Tim complaining that he was thrown aside as soon as Damien appeared. Yeah. It's something a lot of comic book fans would have said uh, yeah. around that time. So, For uh, sure. You know, it definitely comes from a place of truth, which is interesting. Um, yeah. And then, you know, as, as it goes further, and, you know, Steph complaining, oh, you could have trained me properly. You could have, like, mm-hmm. raised me to be a proper Robin, but you didn't. Yep. Uh, and it got um, killed. Yeah. Well, and then also, I like that, that Bruce rationalizes that, well, now... Now she's with Barbara, and that's Barbara can train her more effectively than he could because well, the type of person Steph is. Yeah, well, the way he phrases it is even just like mm-hmm. he never really expected anything from her, but she's actually right. doing well with Barbara because Barbara's far more patient than he is. Yep. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of selling Babs a little bit there, which is nice. Uh, yep. I mean, <laughs> Jason is the only one that's not that interesting because Jason would be like, blah, 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 you didn't like come and save me. You should have came and found me after I came back from the dead. Yep. Like, he's been saying this shit for 15 years at this point. <laughs> right, well, and I love the fact, too, and maybe this is commentary from Wade, too, yeah. that that Stephanie was meant to be the obstacle so to soften him up for Jason, right? Yeah. Because you know that, that Jason's going, that Bruce is going to be able to deal with Jason because Bruce has heard this for the last 15 years, right? So he just doesn't even hesitate and just, does a does a Danhausen gut punch you know, <laughs> to to him, um, and takes him out like easier than the other ones. Like like spoiler had a had a bigger uh, fight with him than than Red Hood did, which which I feel is is a statement here. Yeah, but I, I just you know like all the others, it feels like these things are mm-hmm. saying like there's truth yeah. in them. But it's not something we've been hearing constantly. Whereas every right. time Batman and Jason are having a fight or they're bickering mm-hmm. with each other, it's the same shit Jason always you, says. You let me die. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, uh, sorry. I don't know what else to say at this point. Yeah, it's, so. it's just, I don't know. That's the, it's just that's not even a critique on Wade. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. 
Like, it's the obvious thing that he would say, but unfortunately, yep. everyone writes Jason Todd to say these things. So, yep. uh, but yeah, so, you know, like, it's all building up to, to Dick, of course. Um, it's obviously our coming with Damien and the, the, the pig stuff, but uh, he, he finally gets to Dick, uh, and I love how Bruce is out of stuff in his belt, so he just takes the belt off and starts using it to defend himself against the flaming uh-huh. sword. Uh, it's one of my I kind of like it because it's like obviously there's a lot of like oh Batman like has some secret gadget mm-hmm. or he thinks his way out of something I love that here he's being practical and thinking his way out of something but he's doing it in a really sort of lo-fi way this is a very mm-hmm. simple MacGyvery just no no and it used the belt to literally try and block the flaming sword and that's it's yep. that simple there's nothing more complex about it well uh, and I like too that as Dick's like you know you You'd put a mask on me to hide who Dick Grayson was and, you know, pulled me into this world. And uh, Bruce has a realization that, like, yeah, no, I am a monster. I recruit children to come fight with me. Um, and it gives Dick, the, you know, the ever so slight edge for a hot second. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, fight's decent. But, of course, uh, Batman ultimately pulls Alfred in to take the hit. Uh, mm-hmm. revealing that he's known for ages long before we probably did that yep. this wasn't... I mean, I was skeptical. We, we were all skeptical well, for obvious reasons. It, it's stuff like where he says that he knew because Alfred despises Oolong tea. He has no granddaughter, which I believe we brought up. We're like, we'd heard about his daughter, but we hadn't heard about a granddaughter. Yeah, um, I think we did bring that up, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's no la- Riddler's Labyrinth. You know, so it was these things that he put out there to test, you know if this really was Alfred. And in a way, it was, right? Is that we find out as Alfred's, you know, fading away, that in order for him to impersonate Alfred, there had to be a little piece of the soul in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that leads to the big emotional scene here mm -hmm. where the spirit leaves the body and there's actually just a little bit of real Alfred left. So he gets gets to have this goodbye with Bruce where he says it's not his fault that he died you can you can't be you know everywhere at once you know so mm-hmm. don't blame yourself for my death that kind of thing he's trying to give bruce this closure um before he goes um and he's like no you, you need to save master damien so let this go because it'll only make you weaker if you still blame yourself mm-hmm. for this uh and he knew what he was getting into but the, the final little thing though right is that he says you know, bruce says i miss you and Alfred's final lines before he fades away is, you'll see me again someday, dear boy. Your parents send their love. And then he's gone. And I'm Ugh. like, Jesus Christ, Wade. Like, yep. <laughs> like, you just try to pull in the heartstrings. And- the idea that Alfred's actually seen the Waynes and this yep. doesn't feel like... I think because it's the last thing he says, like, see if he'd said mm-hmm. this up front and Bruce got to ask questions, it would yeah. be kind of cheesy and it would feel cheap and annoying. Mm-hmm. Because it's the very final thing he says, so there's no chance to elaborate on it, and it's just like a little, oh no, he's spoken to the Waynes, he's actually seen them, and you know, whatever's beyond death, he's yeah. seen them. Well, and not, not just that too, is, is Bruce actually gets to say goodbye to Alfred, where we didn't get that in that story, where, you know, Bane squishes his head because of Damien, because Bruce wasn't there. So here it does feel like, a you know, Bruce finally gets closure with the whole Alfred situation. And it doesn't feel cheap that they, they brought Alfred back. Right. Cause it is just a possession type deal, you know, but we get this really strong emotional moment here where Alfred gets to, you know, be his, you know, his surrogate father again and be like, Hey man, don't, don't worry about me. You, you did good. 
But he um, also gets something from Alfred here that he can never have from his parents, which is right. Alfred gets to tell him this wasn't your fault. Uh, right. You know, like because you know, because Bruce always, on some level, even though he mm-hmm. was a kid, kind of blamed himself for his parents' right. death. So there's like this thing where Alfred's kind of become like his parents now, and that he's another fallen person in his life right. that he would want to avenge or or motivate himself to you know be an even better Batman. But unlike his parents, the thing that separates him is that. He, Aside from he got to spend a lot more time with him, is that he gets to actually say here, no, you'll be stronger if you let this go, and don't blame mm-hmm. yourself for me. I don't know, I think it's an interesting counterpoint to his actual parents, and makes Alfred's death feel a little bit different. Um, this definitely makes his death feel like a much bigger deal than that actual arc in King's Run did make it feel. That yeah. was one of the big complaints we had at the time, is we didn't even believe it happened at first, because it was just right. kind of like, ah, they're going to retcon this in like two issues, because it felt too out of nowhere. Yep. Kind of thing. So for sure, that's nah, a really touching scene. Uh, it's really good, and then you know it's Batman. You know, bandages his arm up a little bit uh, and goes off walking into the darkness to fight the big fight. So mm-hmm. it's a very cliffhanger. This was um, have all these issues been like extra long? Because this was like forty pages. Yeah, they've all been okay. I didn't realize. I, I, I think <laughs> I think so because it just no, yeah, because the last one was the one where they were in the House of Secrets and the House of Mystery, right? Yeah. And that, that felt long, too. There was a lot okay, of okay. twisting and turning through, through that one. I mean, that's read quite quick. I'm not even complaining. Yeah. I'm just... Uh, yeah. It no. felt like this uh, you know, this big thing was going, going from Robin to Robin, yeah. building up, hinting that Damien might still be in there and fighting back and like fighting mm-hmm. against Nez's control. All yeah. really interesting. Which the other big thing we have to mention, actually, yep. is uh, like Nez is actually preparing because his son is even worse and he wants to kill his son. Yeah, because he tells him, you know, he wants to know where he is, right? Because he says he's gearing up to play offense. He's playing defense. And this, then is, this, is, the, like, this is the pig who's saying this. Yeah, yeah, pigs, he's saying all this. And he says, where is he? You alone would know. Tell me. And then he says, he's already here on Earth. Your, fun, your son has finally arrived, and he can't wait to say hello, right? And so we, we go through, and we get Bruce fighting, and then we get uh, Damien talking to Pigsy. And, you know, he remembers him from the Monkey Prince stuff. Um, and he asks him, what, what does he get all of this? And that's where he tells him that Nez is uh, going to use Earth's magic to enslave this planet. He wants an army of eight billion strong. You know why? Did he ever tell you to use against a more powerful demon named King Firebull? His son, he goes, effectively, how does this mother soul figure in? Right? So um, I didn't realize it was going to tie into to Monkey Prince that quickly. Um uh, with with Pigsy, and of course we know that you know Monkey Prince. I feel like uh, we we didn't think that the Monkey King had teamed up back in World's Finest with the other heroes that had locked up uh, Neza. Um, but here, right, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, you know. Um, so so here we we turn that. So I did get caught up with with Monkey Prince, and uh, he's he's on his way to fulfilling his destiny. It's very very much like that way that Con Keenan was unlocking all of his stuff you know, in New Superman. So uh, I'm curious to see where this goes here because it says in Monkey Prince 9, we'll see how um, Saifu Pigsy gets abducted. So are we we'll thinking this uh, Sun King Bull, whatever his name mm-hmm. is? King um, Firebull. King Firebull, there you go. Yeah. Um, are we thinking he's like maybe the big bad then for this uh, crossover event that Wade's spearheading? Um... Maybe, maybe not. I still think it's Neza because I feel like something happens by him putting all of the magic 
into the helm of um, uh, yeah and that's what causes all of these lazarus events i just because i'm remembering that um you know this this one month or two month yep. event is spinning out of issue four of this which is the next issue yep. so it just yep. kind of feels that like they've just they've dropped this on us and i'm like okay yep. so clearly the next issue is going to set that up yeah but yeah so i feel like the whole lazarus volcano stuff is going to happen because of this guy but maybe it's not you know he's not what they're fighting okay um but yeah i, who, I mean I, I mean the uh the bill son thing he might be yeah. He may just be like the next arc of this book. He may right. be, you know, so which is fine. He, yeah, he might fall in, uh, fall into that. But yeah, just just the idea that that Wade's taking the monkey print stuff, you know, and that side of the DCU and and putting into here, tying it in with the all ghouls and the demon's head and mother mm-hmm. uh, soul and all that stuff. I just I love that type of interconnectivity, and like again, you don't need to read monkey prints for any of this to make sense. You know, because I caught up before this week. Um, but it was nice when I got to, to Pigsy here. And he sounds just like he has in, you know, in Yang's writing. So just Wade has a, a handle on the DCU. But, um, but yeah, he's making these characters feel like they've, they're they very established. There's a lot, the, uh, Wade's doing a lot of stuff with the recent continuity in this mm-hmm. book. Although I did roll my eyes a little bit at the editor's note that uh, they brought yeah. up uh, how Raz died and how Raz wanted to yeah. repent. It's when Damien's talking to Talia yeah. and whatnot. And it says, uh, yeah, check it out in the now classic uh, Batman yeah. Shadow War. I mean, now classic? That's a bit presumptuous on your part. It was, <laughs> it was readable and it was fun, but I would never call it a classic story. Oh, I, 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 I did enjoy it. I reasonably did yeah. enjoy that book. Uh, I, I especially did. liked the first couple of issues, which was, was Raz wanting to repent and yep. then you know the assassination like i was really into yep. that part of it but calling it a no classic when it's less yeah. than a year old feels a that bit is, of a that is presumptuous yeah i don't know yeah. well so. not feeling that so much no nope. um yeah yeah the art here um i really couldn't tell Godlewski from from asrar which is good yeah, you, yeah. I, I feel like you could always tell Godlewski's art when he was doing superman um it does stick out However, here it blends very well with the Srar's style. So I wish I could tell you which pages were which, but I really can't. So Yeah, I'm not actually sure myself. Uh, yeah. Which perhaps says that neither one of them are super distinct. Maybe they're both a little house style, uh, which is good for the sake of them mm-hmm. being paired together, which is, you know, yeah. convenient here. If if I had to guess, I'd say the Godlewski stuff was the Damien and, and Pigsy. Um, because it is the shadows in the shading. Oh, it's a, a yeah, it's a, it's a lot more flatter actually. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would definitely say that's the other artist. Yeah, yeah. So, but all of the Batman versus the Robin stuff is, I'm pretty certain, is a straw. So, um, uh, but yeah, no, the, the art tandem works out really well, and this was a really fun issue. Like, I'm really enjoying this book still, and I'm happy that Mark Wade is back at DC to tell this type of story. Because I know, I understand that like continuity like this isn't for everyone, but it's very much for me. Um, and I feel like I'm getting more out of reading. You know, it helps that I'm doing a podcast and I can I can justify reading all the books. But when oh, they sure. start to interplay with each other, it makes me feel like I've unlocked something. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I I just like that the book's called Batman versus Robin. So technically, everything yeah. that happens in this book is just another example of Batman versus Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's just batman versus all the robins yeah so very, and plus anything that uh gives my girl steph a bit more uh yeah. page time is uh fine yeah. by me 
So, yeah, no, it's an all solid issue uh, of, mm-hmm. of the book. Um, it's 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 kind of weird because it's it's like I wouldn't say it's hitting like spectacular highs, but it's hitting a very strong, enjoyable level where I'm into mm-hmm. the continuity of it and I'm into. You know, emotional moments with the Alfred goodbye is very good. It felt very motivating for Batman going in to the cave after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I had a, I had a good time. Uh, what are you rating Batman versus Robin issue three? Um, I'm going to an eight point five. I'm going to go straight eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, liked it quite a bit, but um, I'm not going to go any higher than that. Gotcha. All right. Superman, Son of Kal-El, issue 17, Tom Taylor writing, seeing Tormey on the R. <sighs> so, uh, it's almost Matt's bedtime, apparently. I better... Yeah, sorry, it's, it's been a rough couple of days, so, you know. I mean, I've yawned a couple of times, but I, I'm used to, like, hiding it behind the mic, so no one can Yeah, see I'm it. not. <laughs> just, just to keep up the appearance. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, this is, um... Obviously, Cal's back on Earth. John mm-hmm. and him are, you know, they're racing to another planet. Um, it's a fun little sequence at the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main gist of this one, though, is that John feels that he needs to talk to his dad about being bisexual, about the fact that he has a boyfriend, and mm-hmm. feels nervous about doing it, even though his dad's Superman, literally the most understanding man on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> Which is obviously kind of like a little bit... Of, it's a, that's a little yeah. funny to the reader, I think. But obviously... Yeah, not just that, but it is a... You know, this father-son type of story to where, at the end of the day, John is still looking for acceptance from his dad, even though Clark's never done anything to for, for John to feel doubt about it. But it's still just one of those things that John's nervous about, and he can't, you know, and he just can't help it. And it's a very human emotion coming out of a, you know... I mean, I think that's a very realistic thing. I mean, I think what it it gets into here, because I think even if someone's never given you a reason to doubt Mm -hmm. how they're going to react to something, I think it's very human just to, like, worry about, yeah, but what if I'm surprised and it's the worst possible reaction? And I think that's something I think I felt about just weird random things. I think the fact, I think if you're someone who is, you know, gay or bisexual or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. know, whatever on that spectrum, Mm -hmm. I feel like, yeah, that that, there's so much, like, and it's, I think it's something that Superman actually says when they finally have the conversation after John's in mm-hmm. the hospital because of the you know the red sin stuff. Um, yep. I think he says it, it sucks that the world has made you question that I might not be okay with this. And yeah, yeah it's kind of the society thing where you know w- there's such a big deal uh, made about coming out and about the reactions to coming out. And not because it's fabricated, because, yeah, there is a lot of people who react badly to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's well, very well documented. And yep. I think that's been something that, you know, saddens Superman as a really poignant beat in this book. I think this mm-hmm. issue is very focused, and it's very focused in a way that I, I really like, in that not only does it all revolve around John eventually having this conversation with Clark, but you have Clark and John having this scene where John can't speak to him about it, and then you have a scene with Clark and Pa Kent uh, with him sort mm-hmm. of getting fatherly advice from his dad, you know the you know the dad of comics, yep. effectively, and Pa Kent about how to approach this and how he feels yep. bad about how John doesn't want to speak to him about it, 
and you know Pat Kent obviously gives him some good advice so the fact that we're getting Pat Kent advice to Clark and then we get you know Clark being a good dad to you know there's a, there's a nice generational yeah. <laughs> like you know trickle down that's happening in yeah. this issue which oh, really and like. it kind of reinforces that the reason that Clark's the way he is is because he was raised by the Kents yeah you know and I just like that he's questioning it and he goes how could John possibly believe I'd want anything other than his happiness and Paul looks at him and goes how because some fathers don't or they do care and they're just too worried about how it reflects on them or some other cowardly nonsense. And it's just, it's again, like you said, he's comics dads or DC comics dad, you know, and he's explaining to the most powerful man, right? Um, these, these strong emotional things. Um, and I just, I love that relationship. I'm glad that Pa Kent's back for Clark to have a conversation like this with him. Yeah. Um, it's really good stuff. I mean, the, the red sin thing, um, mm-hmm. It's not weak. It's, it's perfectly fine, and obviously it has to be there to set up why, uh, yep. you know, that we get this conversation with with, with John in the hospital. Uh, yep. Like, I, I, I think you know, it's just fine. We're building up to what this plot's going to be in the next issue, uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's the part of the issue that feels the, you know, the most like oh, it's just there because we have to have this action sequence uh, to set up well, this there's... next thing. Because because the the main part of the issue. Yeah is the three conversations. It's the right. first conversation with Superman and uh, John, the second right. conversation with Paquette, and then the third one in the hospital. In the hospital, yeah. And the Red Sin stuff, I feel like this is where it's kind of tying into Metallo. Because I feel like this is this is Red Sun version of that, where, you know, Metallo has the kryptonite heart, but Red Sin has this this Red Sun energy that can, you know, yeah. hit hit the hit the Kryptonians and, and take their powers for a hot second. Um, uh, and, and, this is, and we know the know. red red suns do that, so this is just yeah. setting that up. Um, right. and his name's Red Sin, though, Matt. Just to read no, us... no, I know, but <laughs> I feel like yes. But I you call them like... Red Sun there like twice, so I'm, I'm just making it clear. <laughs> I, I was meaning the Red Sun energy. Yes. That <laughs> but but here he's using that um, to to make him vulnerable, which I do think that's again Taylor playing with the, you know, John is vulnerable at the hospital. Oh no! Yeah. I, I get like I get those like subtext yeah. of it, right? The idea that he calls for his dad and his dad has to come save him. Like, he literally yep. catches him as he's falling out the window. Yep. Uh, like, and yeah, he does feel vulnerable. Like, and that's the mm-hmm. point. He's he's making it literal, which is good writing. Yep. Like, all that's yep, good. Yep. Um, the the only thing I'm really saying is that you know all of the strengths of this issue are in the one on one conversations, right. and then you know the action scene's fine, and it's there to set up, but it's there to set up, and mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's well done enough. Uh, but it's it's the heart to heart. Uh after it that that you know works and it's one mm-hmm. of the best issues of the run because it is just this kind of heartfelt conversation between them yeah um so good and then the ending sets up that lex is in some way kind of behind uh mm-hmm. or not, not even behind red sin but he's plotting and we know he's plotting because we know he's doing stuff yeah. with metallo uh over in action comics yeah so um yeah project blackout is uh what he says yep. uh to whoever he's yeah, part working of on project yeah um, it looks like it was one of the, um, one of the people that, that, uh, Bendix was using, mm. um, one, one of those types. So, um, but yeah, him, him taking the saw out at the end. Very, very terrifying. Uh, cause who knows what he's doing to this dude. Uh, b- <clears throat> building a super villain, no doubt. Uh, of course. You know, it's um, you know, it's, it's, it's Lex doing his thing and just sort of complaining that ah, they'll soon see you know 
John and Clark Kent for what they really are. They're not human beings. They don't deserve empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, um, which is a really interesting page to get after this this very heartwarming issue, which is all about the father mm-hmm. and son bond between them and how human they actually are. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, to cut to Lex at the end being like, they are not humans. They don't deserve empathy, which almost feels like a caricature of someone who is homophobic and like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, they're mm-hmm. not people. No, no, no. I, and I feel like Lex is also the person who's like, I don't care uh, what you are, but why are you in my face about it? And John's just like, I'm just trying to exist. You know, like, um, it feels very much of that same stuff. I also love when um, we, we get Dr. Midnight taking care of, of John, which I like, which is the the second Dr. Midnight. So yeah, yeah. we're already getting some of those JSA ties. But um, where he tells, uh, Clark tells John that Nightwing's investigating. He goes, oh, okay then. And he goes to rest. And then uh, Dr. Midnight's telling someone, hey, you can't come in here. So I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. And uh, um, I'm drawing a blank. Jay. I'm, I'm, Jay, there you go. Jay, Jay runs through Dr. Midnight and it's a very nice moment of, you know, you're, you're unstoppable. And, you know, I, I'm untouchable. We're not supposed to have these type of interactions. I just love that whole, you know, sentiment there. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a very sweet issue. I mean, the art from Tormi is, you know, it's been consistent with what it's been, yeah. which for me is good, but it's a little bit clean mm-hmm. at times for my taste. You know, sometimes it feels yeah. a little too, glossy in places and flat but mm-hmm. uh certainly not bad and certainly consistent with what, it, what it's been and yeah uh it, it does nail some of the expressions on their faces in the key moments which is good mm-hmm. uh and it's probably the thing this issue needed the most more than anything else uh so yeah yeah sweet issue yeah. uh what are you giving it matt uh, i'm gonna give this an eight I'm gonna go. I'll, I'll go a little nudge. I'll say eight point five. I, I think okay. the the heart of this one uh, really works. So okay. yeah, I, I think I'm. I'll, I'll go with eight point five. All right, cool. Uh, Batgirls issue twelve, which is Becky Clooney and Michael Conrad writing with Neil Gouge on the art. So yeah. Uh, so then the last issue made it look like Riddler was the the, the serial killer. Okay. The Hell Ripper that we had uh, tormenting the, the the part of the say. And very quickly in this issue, it's like, no, he's not the killer. He was just tracking the killer. And all those clues that were on the crime scenes, that's because Riddler had already been investigating the crime scenes and was leaving his own clues mm-hmm. <laughs> for whoever to follow, which turned out to be the Batgirls. Uh, so the actual killer is not like a big character or anything like that. He's just like this uh, this guy, basically, um, who ha- had issues and Riddler got interested enough that he wanted to track him. Um, and this killer was like so proud that he hadn't left any clues that part of the reason why he's going after the, 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 the true crime podcaster in this issue is because she's been spreading those, these clues that have been left. He's like, no, I left no clues. Like my work's immaculate. Uh, I, I, you know, when I kill people, I, I leave no evidence. So yeah. So Batgirl and Cask, uh, well, no, I mean, Steph and Cass, uh, yeah. are fighting Riddler and Keller Moth's there. He wants to beat up Riddler for, uh, double crossing him. So Cass puts on Killer Moth's wings and like flies away with them, and like Steph's like, "Oh man, she's so cool," because <laughs> uh, they split up because Steph has to keep an eye on Riddler. And I suppose the big thing going forward is that Riddler teases that uh, he, he's sort of like doing these riddles as you do, and he's fighting Steph, and he starts dropping hints of fathers and like people who are good at riddles, and ultimately hints that Steph's father's not dead. 
which is what Steph believed. So it seems like we're going to be getting a Steph's dad plot uh, coming up mm-hmm. uh, in, in the coming pages, which is uh, which is cool. Uh, I, I'm all for them doing some personal stories for each of the different Batgirls in this. Uh, what was shocking me about this issue, actually, is there's not a lot of Babs, and I'm not complaining. I actually think it would be kind of cool for the, the issues to sometimes focus on, you know, one or two of the, the, the three over the others. Uh, Babs, like, calls the cop that they were working with before, and he goes and makes the arrest of the killer, but other than that, it's all Steph and Cass. Like, you've got Steph and Cass fighting Riddler, Steph's left alone with Riddler, and that does the personal stuff where they tease the future plots. And then Cass, of course, you know, is flying with um, Killer Moth, and then ultimately swoops in to save the day uh, when the killer comes after the the reporter. And what's actually really cool about this is that the reporter, like, gets her eye stabbed or sliced uh, with a blade, and she's got, there's literally like a panel where she's got blood just coming out of her eye. <laughs> and it's actually yes. kind of grotesque for a, such a, a teen-friendly comic book. Um, I will say the art is, uh, like, it's Neil Gouge again, who's been doing a couple of the issues recently, um, it does feel like it's maybe a little rushed in places. Like, there's some pages where it feels like, oh shit, we have to get this out. I have to just kind of, you know, do, do, it's a little bit more sketchy in places, a little bit less detailed. Um, it feels like it's uh, just a little simpler than it has been. And that's, you know, that's issues that Gouge also did. So I wonder if this was a little bit of a time crunch to get this one done. Uh, which is not to say that it's it's not good or it still doesn't fit the the tone that Batgirl should have because it does for the most part. So I can't really be too critical, but it definitely feels like you know if the art before was like a consistent you know seven or seven point five, it's maybe down to like a six point five or something like that here. Uh, not that we individually rate the art per se, but uh, it's mm-hmm. you know just a little bit less. It just feels like there's a bit of detail missing in some of the pages. Uh, Riddler ends up diving out the window when the uh, robot dog bites him and uh, cat, uh, Steph loses him. Um, but uh, uh, it was a really great scene though when Cass swoops in and fights the killer uh, and you know saves the uh, the true crime podcaster who immediately is complaining she didn't get any of this like hostage situation on tape uh, to, to play out to her audience. Um, we get a fight scene between Cass and the killer, and this killer is like a trained guy who's good at what he does. He's ex, you know, military or CIA or something like that. And Cass, like, we get almost a, cl- a classic uh, Cassandra Kane Batgirl fight where, and this is by far the best, the third person narration in this book has ever been, because this this reminded me of old Cass stories where she would be fighting someone, and it would all be like, you know. It's all these nine panel grids, it's all these motion lines of um them swiping each other and blocking and stuff. But the the narration is kind of getting into Cassie's head and talking about how, you know, uh her adversary's different. Um it's like fighting an alien, he's unnerving and unlocks the door inside her. She remembers her training, her brutal upbringing, uh, and she needs to close that door. And it's you know, it's it's just it's this really it's a very effective uh, Cassandra Kane style fight scene that made me think. It, basically, what what I feel like is that this issue successfully had Steph and Cass together, and then split them up, and gave me a very good Steph scene with Riddler, and then gave me a very good Cass fight scene with the killer, in a very traditional Cassandra Kane way. Which was, she does talk a little bit. Don't get me wrong. There's a little bit of dialogue during the fight mm-hmm. scene, but it's mostly just the action, and then the narration kind of explains the the drama in Cassie's head. Because I've not necessarily been a fan of the third-person narration throughout most of this book, but I think this is the best it's ever been because it's actually providing something in the moment as opposed to just being kind of witty. 
this was more like no 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 like you know the the feelings are going through her and she's remembering her childhood and she's swiping back and uh basically it talks about how she has to give the opponent a little bit of hope because then they're easier to beat because they'll get let their guard up because they think they're winning and sure enough uh that's what happens she says nope and then like chops him in the neck <laughs> it's mm. a, probably my favorite panel of the whole book to be honest <laughs> nope uh so yes uh and as she's ziplining away she just turns to the podcaster when she asks uh is there anything you'd like to say to the people of gotham batgirl and she says yes i gave your podcast five stars <laughs> it zips away uh that gave me a chuckle uh, by all means, everyone, give Comics from the Multiverse five stars on your podcast app of choice. Yes, please. please do. Um, so yeah, it ends with Montoya giving a speech about the the officer who went, you know, Calvin, who went and arrested the killer, and saying that the Batgirls are on the side of the police. Um, the podcaster or whatever, she's going to give up drinking because the killer accused her of being, a, being an alcoholic. <laughs> so she's actually, you know, she's maybe grown out of that a little bit, which is nice. Um... There's a little bit at the end where Dick comes over and like basically is told, sorry, uh, Alyssa came over with, uh, or Alyssa, sorry, came over with movies. And Babs is in the wheelchair. Uh, apparently the doctor told her to spend a couple of days uh, without the chip. Oh, uh, I'm sure it's only temporary, but it's just, yeah. uh, it's this idea that maybe sometimes it'll be like that. But yeah, we have, we have Steph and Cass on a rooftop at the end and basically uh, Steph's like, I thought my father was dead, but... Uh, maybe he's not. Uh, and Cass is like, yeah, but it's okay because we're best friends and we'll deal with it, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of a sweet ending. There's some white doves mm-hmm. flying from the rooftop. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the arc was good. There's a little epilogue page though that teases that Mad Hatter is going to be involved. Uh, okay. Next arc, uh, and even teases that he's he's talking about reuniting a father and his daughter. So you would assume that means uh, Steph and uh, Calculator, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, not calculator, sorry, clue master. I I always made that mistake. I always think calculator is clue master, right? But well, yes. I call I called him quiz master in the past. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I I assume uh, that's what I mean, it could be a red herring though. Maybe he's talking about someone yeah. else, and it's just sort of mm-hmm. thematically setting up that we're going down that path. But uh, yeah, so yeah, no, uh, decent fun. I I would probably give this like a seven point five. Um. Probably just the slightly more rushed art, kind of letting it down, because I really liked what it did with Stephen Cass in this issue. Um, like Cass mm-hmm. getting the big hero moment, saving the day, cool fight scene that felt very Cassandra, and then uh, all the teases about Steph's future. All good stuff. Like this was a, a solid issue, just maybe let yep. down a little bit by the art feeling a bit more rushed. So I'll say seven point five overall. So there you go. Um, Wildcats issue one, Matthew Rosenberg writing with Steven Segovia on the art. Um, aka we know nothing about these characters so let's see what they can do in one issue to make us care <laughs> yeah well and and you know we did read the grifter story in urban legends um yes, so we, we have a little little bit of familiarity we know grifter that's true yeah and and zealot so other than that um i feel like if i tried to research any of this this would drive me insane because there is a lot going on here and a lot that seems familiar um just from my my bare bones knowledge of the wildcats so i i restrained myself from researching anything sure um all i know is that fairchild is a gen 13 character uh, and i remember her showing up in the new 52 i want to say in superboy and she was a scientist type that you know okay um was kind of 
She-Hulk level where she wouldn't turn into like a Hulk, but she could grow her body to be bigger and have more power. Um, but yeah, other than that, this throws you right into the action. And it, it almost does feel like you probably should have read that Grifter story. Yeah, uh, before the, reading this. I think the Grifter story definitely helped me because at least I knew Grifter well enough to yep. kind of have him as a through line. And it starts yep. with this funny bit where he's like, we're getting this story at the start that talks about this alien race that went to war with another mm-hmm. alien race and they've been at war yep. forever. Uh, but it turns out in the next page that this is just him bullshitting uh, as a bet with Zealot to see if he can convince someone if this story's real. And he does it later on in the issue, but what's funny uh-huh. is later on he's basically describing the plot of Deceased, yep. uh, which I thought gave me a chuckle. So, you know, it's got a sense of humour, which is nice. Um, I which, think... Yeah, I'd go. Go ahead. Well, I, I was um, going to say that the... You know, I don't really know these other characters all that well. And, yep. like, you know, you got Zealot and you got what, uh, what was the other guy's name? Uh, Zealot Deathblow. Deathblow, that was it. Uh-huh. Uh, the guy uh-huh. who runs the, like, gives them the orders is Marlowe. Yep. He's the little guy who, like, is their boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know any of these characters. But I will say this issue, like, okay, they need a scientist. They go into this, like, terrorist place, which is the Hive Lab. And uh-huh. because the scientists are supposed to be there to sort of, like, kidnap or, you know, recruit or whatever you want to call it because he like tortures a chimp and kills it as part of his experiment grifter says mm-hmm. oh, i have this and just shoots him in the head and they're all pissed at him uh, and then there's like a funny punchline where uh nightwing and uh cassandra kane jump in and say oh, wait why yep. are all the terrorists already dead what's going on yeah uh <laughs> so you know i'll say this it gave me a sense of character it did feel very 90s in a lot of ways um yep. You know, their their boss, uh, Marlowe, the way he was kind of like yelling at them felt very old school. Uh-huh. It, felt like, it felt like the angry police captain yelling at the, uh, you know, the cops and, who have caused a lot of yeah, damage. <laughs> Cole, Cole Cash has a lot of, of uh, rigs in him. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I had to make sure I was remembering who was rigs and who was Murdoch before I said that. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot of rigs in him just constantly pissing Marlowe off, and I did, I did appreciate that. Um, yeah, but we also have these other characters who are back at the base. Uh, Maxine, mm-hmm. who's like the comms one, and then we have the character who's in like the spacesuit, who apparently like mm-hmm. contacts a, an entity called the Void that lets yeah. them jump around in space mm-hmm. and time, or not maybe not time, but in space anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I was like, okay. This this all this is making me think of a character from Black Hammer of all things, but yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, so basically, uh, Grifter ends up like finding where other scientists are by talking to a guy in a, in a bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a nice little moment where he gets into this fight with these guys who know who he is, and the insult his brother, his dead brother, which I actually I was happy that I knew about this from his his story uh-huh. in, in Urban Legends because it as it was some nice context. But there's a moment where he looks over his shoulder, and it's like his brother's standing there and he talks to him, but he's just, he's not really there. It's just like a little. Yeah. Mo- it was a good little moment, but it was. Um, yeah, so he basically says to the boss, hey, look, I found out where more scientists are. He's like, okay, go get one. And it just cuts to them in this shootout. And they're all pissed they had to bring the kid, uh, Fairchild, uh, who ends up saving their ass, ultimately. Yeah. But uh, they're all pissed that they had to bring this kid with them. Um, the action looks pretty... You know, Segovia's art, I'd say, is huh? pretty solid. Um, sure. There's some fun stuff here. There's this interesting gimmick with Fairchild where she'll get big and she'll get bulletproof. And she can wreck things for about 30 seconds, but then she'll crash and have a nap. Yep. So they end up having to carry her out <laughs> from there. Yeah, and then at one point, they're like, just wake her up and have her punch a hole through the floor. And Chris was like, wait, we can wake her up after this? Um, so I just like that they're flying by the seat of their pants. 
and there's a Green Arrow cameo because they're they're yeah. based in Star City, so there's a mm-hmm. there's a Green Arrow cameo where they have to try and yep. dodge him. I love that there's no dialogue from Green Arrow really. Mm-hmm. It's just that uh, oh he's he fires some arrows at him, off in the distance. Yeah. And they're like, we got a Justice League, and they're like, which one? Uh, the Robin Hood-looking guy. All right, well, he shouldn't be too much of a problem as he fires an arrow through the door. <laughs> um, so that was pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, you can tell Rosenberg really likes this property by, you know... Because, like, I don't know who a lot of these characters are, but I can feel that there's a lot of care taking into them. So, like, the Void. Um, I do remember something with the Void. It, it is their teleportation. And it... it it acts through people. So this person that's running it right now, right. Might not be the same person, Yeah, you know, in a couple issues or whatever, but just the, just the idea of, of that concept, them using that as the back door or whatever. It also kind of reminded me of Midnighter from what I've read with um, Midnighter has access to the ghost door and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, kind of I, reminded me of that too. I think it's a pretty solid first issue. And despite the fact that there was a lot of characters and a lot of things going on, it felt like, like, like a TV pilot where, okay, I don't get all of these characters yet, but I got enough personality that they kind of bounced off each other well enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the action scenes were kind of fun that I, you know, I left this thinking I could probably read some more of this. I could probably, mm-hmm. uh, enjoy it maybe, uh, depending where it goes. Like, the, I mean, the grifter story in urban legends was mostly entertaining, like the ending was a bit weird because it kind of like pivoted into just showing up more whale, you know, more whale cats yeah. characters. But uh, this won't have that problem because it's already a whale's cat cats book. So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so the ending though is when they go through the floor, they basically fall into a pit of a cult. It looks like they're not court of owls, but they're kind of court of owls esque, and they've all got hoods and white masks on. Yeah, yeah, definitely looks like court owls. But it's not a court of owls though. No, but that's what it looks like. So I got a little bit confused for a hot second. Then I remember they're not in Gotham, they're in Star City. No, right? their masks are more like, they're almost like bunny or maybe, yeah, bunny, bunny faces, maybe. Uh-huh. Possibly. Not, not, not quite sure, but yeah, they, that's where they end up. And, <laughs> yeah, know. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so, so they, they fall down there. Um, I don't quite know how Deathblow works yet, but he kind of like, his body gets destroyed in this issue, but I think that yeah. means it's okay. It's just expensive to replace him. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that's when, when Marlo shows up with the with his bodyguard, it looks like the character Spartan, who I remember from the 90s, who was like an android-type character. So I'm wondering if, if he'll pop in um, as a member of the team. Oh, maybe, yeah. Or, or maybe as Deathblow's replacement or whatever. They'll put Deathblow in the, the android or whatever. I'm not I'm not too sure. But yeah, it, they didn't seem to worry when Deathblow got shot like two or three times. No, you they know, said... They just kept on with the mission. No, they said so, that's the third body that he's ruined this yeah. month, which is a record. Yeah. So uh, uh-huh. it sounds like they just replace his body every time he dies, but it costs money yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, interesting. I and mean, again, this is the sort of thing. If you're an old school Wildcats fan, this is probably yep. all just, you know, known second nature to you. To me, this was all like, okay, what's going on? Who are these different characters? What can they do? Uh, you know, who's your daddy? What does he do? That kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. So it says here when I just pulled him up that he has uh, accelerated healing factor and psychokinesis. I didn't get that vibe from here. I felt like he was a, a deathstroke type, right? Like maybe the healing factor mm. at play. But yeah. Um, but no, he was he was cool. I liked him a lot. Uh, he bounced off a of grifter super well. I like seeing Fairchild because 
That is the one character outside of Grifter that I'm pretty familiar with at this point. Um, so yeah, uh, but no, it's it's. I'm glad that that Rosenberg was able to parlay, you know, that Grifter story in in Urban Legends into a Wildcats book, even if it's just a limited series. I'm sure Jim Lee, being the the uh, publisher now of DC, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure it helped. was it a hard sell uh, for Rosenberg. So yeah, this is, a, is this a 12 issue series? I believe so. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it says limited on the cover. So I'm just trying to um, remember if it was six or twelve, but I feel like it was twelve. I could be yeah. wrong though. It's it's paced like it's twelve. Yeah. Right? Like it it you know uh, I also love the you know the um relationship with Grifter and Zealot, where he's like, Yeah, her name is Xana, or you know, because no one that calls her Zealot lives long enough. You know, um, so that's what I call her. Uh, Zealous you know, is a member, though, so that's what I'm going to call her. <laughs> right. So, but no, it's a, it's a whole lot of fun and stuff with his brother. But yeah, and you can tell that Rosenberg has an affinity because I just remembered Grifter showing up with Ollie in Vampires. Right. He's at the Blood Farm. Um, so, so you know, a lot of fun. I'm going to keep going unless it ends up on a on a week that's super packed, which I'm guessing. You know, where, what is this week three, week, week two? Week two. Is going to end up, yeah. If it's going to keep end up being like this, then I'll, I'll be able to keep reading. Yeah. Okay. Sounds uh, good. Mm-hmm. What are you rating, uh, Wildcats? Um, I'm going to give this a. Mm, let's go 7.5. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think I'll agree with, uh, with that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um all right, so that'll take us on to The Nice House on the Lake, issue eleven, mm-hmm. James Titan the Fourth with Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Uh so there's a character sheet at the back, which would have been, you know, nice in every yeah. other issue. <laughs> yeah. Up right? till this point. <laughs> it also it would have been nice to be at the front. I would have liked to have refreshed my memory before I read the issue, but you right. know, whatever. But at least it's there. At least, at least, mm-hmm. at least it's there. That's all I'll say. Uh, so, yeah, obviously the last issue ended with that big cliffhanger where the the husband character shoots the uh, mm-hmm. the wife, and but the healing's turned off, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because uh, Orion's uh, at the at the helm, and so there's a lot of like fallout from that with the crying about that, mm-hmm. and then the other thing, of course, is that a lot of their memories were coming back because that had also been switched. And this idea that Walter was getting help from Nora to like manipulate everyone, and Nora's now remembering that, and the weird sort of gray areas that's kind of introducing into the plot, uh, and finding mm-hmm. out that Nora actually witnessed Walter with his, not not actually his parents, but you know the aliens pretending to be his parents. Yeah, it, it's very Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, but this was yeah. like years ago. This was way 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 back. This was one of the memories that had been re- uh, erased. So, yeah. uh, very creepy visuals, of course, as it has been as, as we've been mm-hmm. going through this stuff. I I didn't realize how how Lovecraftian the aliens were until I saw them here. Mm. Well, we're assuming they're aliens. Who know when they're there? Because when Walter turns and looks at at Nora right there, and it's just this this face of you know, I'm trying to get to that page. That's like coming apart. Um, it, it's just it's so eerie. And creepy. Um, it's very cosmic, it? cosmic horror, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there it is. I found it. But yeah, they all turn and, and look at Nora and uh, there's like all these tendrils coming out. And it just again, it was giving me that cosmic horror type vibe. Uh, and then they reform with and they're wearing the same type of glasses that Walter does. And again, it makes it for this eerie type of visual. And Bueno's art, like not that it's messy, but here it's it's a lot more sketchy. Like with the, you know, the lines aren't nearly as clean. And the way that the colors are hitting with the whites and stuff, everything kind of blends into the shadows. Um, and yeah, it's just, it makes for some creepy visuals. Yeah, and this, you know, this has been talked about by Nora as seemingly, you know, maybe about to burn alive by, yeah. by choice in the future. But yep. talking about how the aliens only saw them as this like uh like oh just another meat bag that's going to die mm -hmm. uh when the world's destroyed and nothing more mm -hmm. kind of thing so it uh, really says something to but then when we cut back to the main you know bit of the book we get uh the aftermath of the husband holding his wife streaming it's a really great page actually it's one of the best pages in the issue uh it's just this fallout and then everyone else freaking out and like can walter fix this and i'm thinking he can and that's kind of what walter says later is that well, no, like, if the healing's turned on, like, yeah, it'll save her, but if it's mm -hmm. turned off and you get killed while it's turned off, then you're gone. Like, there's no rewinding time. Like, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's limits to what the, what the technology... What even they can, yeah. yeah, what even they can do. So, yeah. all super interesting. I think, it's, I think it's Reggie who's remembering designing the place, and yep. he even put in, like, little hints to try and trigger his memory because he knew he'd forget. But they didn't mm -hmm. work. When the memory was gone, it was truly gone. Right. And only now, because they've all got their memories back, he's remembering it. And right. him and the other people who knew Walter before high school are teaming up to go in the boat up to the house, you know, the mm -hmm. second house. Uh, and But as this is all going on, basically the husband finds out that, uh, yeah, from Walter, that this has happened because someone else is at the controls and turned off the healing. So now mm -hmm. the husband's like, like who was it? Who, who did this? As, as if it's someone else's fault other than Walter's. Because it's not like right. Ryan knows that they were playing shoot each other. Right. When she right. flipped the switch. Come on now. But, but, yeah. But then we get to the scene that seems to go back in time, right? Well, it doesn't seem to... Because it, well, the, the present day stuff with the, with the, right. the wife's just been shot is day 48. Right. And then this right. scene is day 31. So, yeah, we're back right. earlier on, yeah. And th this is where it really starts to get, like, you know... um with Walter and Nora and stuff starts to become more clear. Um, but yeah, Nora, Nora's walking through and then it goes to day 31 and Nora goes to use the, the sensory deprivation chamber. And then Walter comes to talk to him and oh, this was so creepy. Bueno's art here with just the shadows and the eyes. Yeah. Uh, and then, and them formulating this plan. Um, yeah. That, that if, yeah, yeah. That's, that's this plan. It sounds like there's too many of us ever since they mm -hmm. sort of switched things around. So there was the extra person, uh -huh. and because of that, someone has to die. And it almost sounds like they wanted this to happen, where someone mm -hmm. was going to get mm -hmm. killed. And this is an intentional part of the plan. Yep. Uh, to let someone have control so that someone gets killed. Um, but they can't pick who it is because they have to look to Walter's supervisors. That this was a completely random act. Yes. You know, so there's a, they're leaving a lot up to chance in, in the people in the house. And this um, is something that Nora is then for obviously forgetting after yep. this and then remembers right. in the present day like everyone else yep. is remembering stuff. Mm -hmm. 
So, obviously there's a lot of weird mixed feelings for some of these characters when they realize that they've been helping Walter in different ways. And it feels like Nora's mm-hmm. the one who's helped him the most, or yeah. at least the one that he's confided in the most. Mm-hmm. So, that's super interesting. Uh, but yeah, Ryan's freaking out and like, what did I do? What, what, what did these different buttons do? Kind of thing. And he's explaining, oh, this one controls the people. This one controls the environment. And this one controls the power uh, of who to kill and things like that. Um, and it's all freaking out. But then he drops like, yeah, like a lot of your friends are coming here right now. And so yeah, we end in this cliffhanger where they're arriving mm-hmm. at the pier and they're walking up the steps. And we just get like the red face of 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 Ryan realizing that mm-hmm. the, they're going to blame her for what's just happened, because mm-hmm. um, because Walter tells her what's happened. Walter tells her that you know Nara's mm-hmm. dead. So like, and there's no yeah, there's no coming back from it. Um, and he says, "Come on now, Ryan. We've been practicing this conversation for a long, long time." Which I like that it goes back to the first issue there, um, where the, the payoff to that conversation is, "How do you think the world will end?" Um, and so, yeah, I just like that that's where this ends up, end up going. And there's a couple of hints in the book that the world hasn't ended, you know, right? rather the characters speculate that, uh, maybe it's not true. Like one of the things that right. Walter said to one of them implied that, oh, this is a test, but the, the world yep. outside is not actually ended yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that this will determine though, if the world will end, which I also is quite ominous, right? Is that, you know... Maybe all they had to do, it's one of those type where it's like a Twilight Zone episode where all they had to do was just follow the rules, mm-hmm. right? And had they followed the rules, the world would be saved. But the fact that they decided to rebel and think for themselves and, and think they could outthink all of this, it's doomed everyone else. And I don't know if that's where this is going, but those are the vibes I was getting as Walter's telling this to It's a really Ryan. interesting flip if Walter effectively this entire time has been trying to save the planet by proving that people can be good, by putting these 12 people or however many Mm -hmm. together to show his superiors, this alien race or whatever they are, look, they can be good, but this group are actually just going to F it up (laughs) (laughs) and get everyone killed. It's it's quite fascinating. Right. And so he tells her too, right before that, uh, that these these are the, the controls that let you kill me, which I don't quite believe. Hmm. Right? Um, but maybe that's, again, that's part of the test. Maybe that's what causes everything to go on fire uh, there at the end. Um, but yeah, it's pretty effective penultimate, you know, chapter. It's a big cliffhanger it really, in it. Yeah. I think, it, you know, there's a moment where Walter's talking to the husband and he says, if you want, I can make you forget everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, either forget that she ever existed or maybe forget that she ever came here. So you might th- you know, think there's a chance she's still out there alive in the right. outside and it was kind of interesting to hear walter like, just talk about it this openly in front of everyone and kind of made me think for the first time that you know on some level i think he does care about all these people mm-hmm. even if you know what obviously what he's doing is really manipulative yeah. and all the rest of it but right well it's almost like a almost like a zookeeper talking with the animals right mm-hmm. like i'm so much further from you but i still care about you and i don't want you to hurt yourselves you know i don't want to see you in pain uh, type thing. Uh, but it does come off as kind of cold when he's just like, I could make you forget. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's not yeah. what he's going to want, but right. he, he is offering that because he thinks it'll make him feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the art's fantastic in this issue. You talked about the sensory deprivation tank. Yep. Uh, that looks, that stuff looked really great. The big full page mm-hmm. spread with the, you know, the husband yeah. holding the wife is fantastic early on. 
uh all the color changes i love the the the, the red danger light that they're in in the control room when mm-hmm. all the other characters are coming at the end uh there's a lot of just really nice uh different art styles or not art styles but different color palettes uh, throughout right. uh that really sell things and like you say that super lovecraftian like image of mm-hmm. the of walter and the, the quote-unquote parents yep. uh is really good spooky stuff so yeah oh fantastic yeah. Um, yeah, it's all it's all really good stuff, man. This book still delivers, and yeah, again with the art, where it's not as clean, but I feel like that's a stylistic choice. It's because as as things are starting to become more chaotic, it's almost like the sense of reality is is you know not falling apart, but it, it again not not everything's as clean cut as it once was at the beginning. Yeah, right. Things kind of merging together, and we we get all of that through the art. Uh, and and the color choices and all that stuff. So, yeah, no, it's it's just this. The, the creative team really knows what they're doing here, and I'm excited to see where this ends. For sure, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm intrigued by everything, and it feels like uh, we're getting a big culmination of all the drama that's been building up with the mm-hmm. characters. And I'll be curious to see how much is answered with the mysteries and how much is left ambiguous for our interpretation. I could see yeah. it kind of going either way. It feels like they might leave some of it open for us. Yeah. Uh, which is which is fine. I have no problem mm-hmm. with that, but uh, right. we'll see how it goes. So, uh, what yeah. are you giving issue eleven of Nice House in the Lake? I'm gonna give this a, a eight point five. I'm just gonna go a nice straight nine on this. Thought it was yeah. excellent. So, uh, good stuff. All right, uh, that'll do the part of the show. We pick our favorite stuff of the week, favorite panel slash more, favorite cover, favorite art, and our top five books. So. Uh, you're looking at me like I missed the book there. <laughs> like, I, I, I thought you had a Patreon. Oh, I do. I just didn't write it down. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I'm glad you said that. I would. I would have uh, not talked about it and then yeah. had to reread it next week. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I've got a Patreon yeah. book. You're right. You're right. Right. Uh, so yeah, coming up now is uh, Animal Man issue 25. So and I thought you said it at the beginning too. So just maybe you forgot to jot it down. You knew at the time. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I completely forgot. Uh, yeah, I just didn't rate it in the list. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's me being silly. Uh, so yeah, before we get to that last segment, <laughs> I have a Patreon book to talk about. Um, so yeah, Isle Man, last issue ended with Buddy opening the door and going into what looked like a different dimension or something like that. And uh, this issue, we find out it's called Limbo, and we're getting very meta here. We've got a, a chimper or some kind of monkey writing the script to, of the issue <laughs> under a tree and this world's very like colorless. Everything's very white, and there's just like some pale blues, but it's mostly just white. Uh, with Buddy himself being the only thing with like real color of his yellow and blue suit. Uh, hmm. And you know he he's going through and he talks to uh, the Merryman, uh, who explains this is limbo, and this is a place where all the characters who are forgotten go, uh, that, that no one talks about anymore. And he even says that Animal Man's been here before, implying that Animal Man's been out of continuity before and forgotten, mm-hmm. but then left. And once you leave, you forget you were ever here. So it's this very meta thing of like these characters who are been left behind and aren't going to be used anymore. Um, and so there's a couple of interesting references and just kind of uh, like, man, they, they, they took out, oh, what was the one they said they took out? Oh, Buana Beast and uh, Brother Power. If they if they can leave Limbo and go back into real comics, then you know there's hope for any of us, kind of thing. <laughs> so it's not really interesting. And basically, they, they tell Animal Man of a, of a city of knowledge that he can get to, that maybe can give him some answers. 
um and he he demands to know where it is and he goes and it's kind of this journey issue where he goes walking but he's basically he's given the 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 chimp who was writing the script is become sick and he's dying and he has to take the chimp with him so he's literally carrying this chimp in his arms and he's walking uh throughout this wasteland and he runs into the occasional character he offers one his coat because he's cold um he gets lost in a blizzard he runs into mr freeze i have to assume at this point mr freeze was maybe not being used that much because keep in mind this was before the animated series so i wonder if mr freeze was like you know that that was that kind of revived them back into the you know the, yeah. the main sort of a-list rogues gallery and at this point maybe he was kind of like forgotten about um so yeah he's going through and finding these different characters and eventually after it feels like he's been traveling for for weeks and whatnot he he basically just finds his house again and when he opens the door he sees the skeletons of his cat and dog that he left when he when when he left initially mm-hmm. so it's like a lot of time has passed and he's crying and he's sad but he pulls the script out of the, the chimp's hand as the chimp's dying uh he actually breaks his hand to get out of it um he reads the script even though he doesn't really want to and he doesn't want to do what the script says to prove that he has free will but he does he cuts a key out of the paper as in he cuts the, the script page and makes a key out of it and he puts it in the door and it takes him out into another part of the world. And what's so funny about this is that this actually looked kind of familiar to me. <laughs> this this where he is. Um, and I'm like, wait, is he in Scotland? Because mm-hmm. it feels, it looks like some areas that I can recognize. And he goes up to a door and the final page is so, you know, like someone answering the door and it's just, I'm Grant, are you coming in? And that's the cliffhanger. <laughs> So, I assume Grant Morrison had hair at this point because I was not expecting hair. I was expecting baldness because Grant Morrison's been very bald right, for a long time. Because that's what we think when we think of them. Uh, a very, a very. I have a silhouette in my brain yes. of Grant Morrison, and it doesn't involve hair ever. No, it really yeah. doesn't. Uh, so, I saw it coming as it was building up to the end because it just, with how meta this has been, it makes sense that, that you know, in the cover for the next issue. Is like a photo of presumably Grant Morrison holding his cat, uh, with just like a drawn animal man on his floor, and I'm like, okay, that's a really wildish, you know, front cover. Um, so I'm excited to see what it does next and what this conversation is going to be like, uh, mm-hmm. because one of the things that comes up in this is that when Animal Man's told by these characters in Limbo that he's a character and everything that's ha- happened to him has been written by someone, he's like, so someone killed my family, someone did all this to me. So this idea that he's going to resent Grant Morrison mm. for putting him through this mm. this hellhole is quite an interesting concept. And is there this way that Animal Man can regain his agency through this conversation? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious to see what <laughs> the point of this conversation is going yeah. to be and what the, the dramatic sort of conclusion to it is. Because right now, I don't know if I can guess, which is nice. It's invigorating. Like, I'm right, excited right. to see where it goes with uh, whatever it's going to do next. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have some fun, just Google Grant Morrison with hair. <laughs> and, and an image from the comic book comes up next to a real image. And the artist killed it. So, um, Very yeah. good, very good. But but yeah, Grant Morrison to me always was bald. Even when they were a kid. Bald. Um, <laughs> so that's just how it goes. But but yeah, no. So I've, I've known about this. This is one of the things in comics that I've known 
when I started reading and like I was reading Wizard and they would talk about this as being like one of the biggest moments in comics. And so like this is what I would talk to Connor about on the side. I'm like, oh, when Pete gets there, uh, when when you see where it's going, everything's going to click. And so as I'm hearing you describe all of these issues as you've gone through this run, you know, like when you talk about the Wiley Coyote issue and mm. what that's commenting on and you know this is coming everything clicks and it's just like man morrison really is a genius when it comes to comics so yeah it's just you know like it's kind <sighs> of it's not a surprising thing because like if we're, i've always heard that this is a very meta run and when you're doing the stuff earlier on where you're seeing like the art be unfinished and you're seeing the pencil being drawn over the page and things what's the most meta thing you could do to end this oh I actually have the character meet grant morrison so I'm not shocked it's done this, but I am fascinated to see what it does with it now that we're at that point. So, uh, oh, this is a very good issue. I give it like an 8.5. I think, um, you know, like all of the teasing and this idea that this, this, this secret city that's going to save the day feels a bit of a, like a mirage, but it is real. It's just, it's just not like, you know, he has to go through his own house to get to it. It's, it's all about going mm-hmm. through the, he literally uses the script page of the comic to access the real world, which makes kind of some sense on a meta level, and mm-hmm. that's quite smart. So, uh, but yeah, so, no, very good. So there you go. That's mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's Animal Man issue twenty five. All right, now we will do our panel slash moment of the week. Uh, best art, best cover, top five. You know the drill. All right, Matt, what yep. was your panel slash moment of the week? Man, do I go Justice Society? Do I go? Do I go Batman v. Robin? Um, I'm going to go for Dark Crisis. And it's when Superman comes in and stops the Doomsday Punch for John. Yeah. That, was, that was a really good moment. Yeah, I, I could have maybe picked that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's also tempted for Alfred's final goodbye moment and mm-hmm. Batman versus Robin. But I think if I'm... Yeah, if I'm being strict with it, I think I have to go with uh, Nice House in the Lake, and I have to go with mm-hmm. uh, the the deprivation tank meeting. That entire thing was just very yeah. captivating in, in a way that was very you know ethereal. Mm-hmm. That was was very good. So uh, I think that's what I'm going with. Uh, cover of the week, um, you know, there's a bunch of good ones. Uh, Wildcats is alright. Uh, couple of good variants to Dark Crisis. I think the one I'm going to go with, though, is the Jeff Dekel variant uh, from Superman Son of Kal-El. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those covers where I just, like, the way it uses lighting and and it's and it's colouring or and it's uh, mm-hmm. drawing just is really effective to me. It's, it's like John, but there's like a sort of really harsh low light, so there's a lot of shadow mm-hmm. from above. It's uh, really good. I do. Now, what you got? Um, so I'm going to go, it's from, uh, it's a variant from the, the new golden age and it's the Dave Talaski, uh, variant with, uh, Alan Scott on there. He's all in black. You got the green really popping. Okay. Um, yeah, it looks super, super cool. Also shots to the J hero variant, uh, which has, um, Dr. Fate with a bunch of Dr. Pates around him as he's, you know, freaking out. But, uh, yeah, really, really solid stuff here. 
All right. Well, what's your art of the week? Uh, this one's tough because there's some really solid art through this week, but I think I'm going to give it to the, the team of Batman v. Robin. I really like okay. SRR's art. And then when Godlewski picks up, we really didn't notice the shift. Um, yeah, that's, that's I'm going to go with Batman versus Robin. Yeah, I think I have to go with Nice in the Lake. I don't think Ethan yeah. sticks up to it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's just this phenomenal. It's all these creepy moments. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's my pick. All right, top five, Matt, go. All right, so uh, let's see. Number one is Batman vs. Robin. Number two is Nice House on Lake. Number three is The Golden Age. Number four is uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El. Number four, or number five is Dark Christ on Infinite Earths. Okay. Uh, my number one is Nice House on the Lake. My number two is the new golden age my number three mm-hmm. is superman son of Kella. number four batman versus robin and number five uh well guess yeah yeah well we're back i'll, I'll go wild cats just to be there more interesting uh that's this week uh but there you go that's uh that's our, our picks of the week uh, so next week from dc comics we've got coming out nightwing issue 98 the flash 788 Batman Superman World's Finest, issue 9. Catwoman, 49. Batman, mm-hmm. One Bad Day, Mr. Freeze. Dark Crisis, Young Justice, issue 6. Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, issue 4. Dark Crisis, Worlds Without a Justice League, Batman, issue 1. DC vs. Vampires, All Out War, issue 5. Black Adam, issue 6. Stargirl, The Lost Children, issue 1. Uh, which is the start of a six-year miniseries. Mm-hmm. Uh, Titans United, Blood Pact, issue 3. Harley Quinn, the animated series, Legion of Bats, issue 2. GCPD, The Blue Wall, Issue 2, and Looney Tunes, 269. So, uh, relatively meaty week. I, I've got a yeah. bunch of things there that I'm excited to read. Nightwing, obviously, yeah. top of the list. Um, but... Yeah, I also uh, caught up with Dark Crisis, Young Justice. Oh, really? So I'll probably talk about the last issue. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to delve back into that knowing what the villain is. And it was interesting because there was, a, there was a, a big split online of people getting very upset. However, I liked the commentary that it gets at that, you know, Young Justice is this kind of lost group where you have the original Titans and then you had this new group of like John and Damien and and those characters. And then these ones kind of got lost in the mix. And the idea of Mickey Mixapitalik is these are his favorites and he wanted to give them an earth where they were relevant. And there's some very meta comments coming from people. And a lot of people I feel like took offense to some of the stuff that hmm. Fitzmartin was saying. I enjoyed it, and I love these characters. Um, well, you're just the, the new issue next week? Yeah, so I'll, okay. I'll be finishing that up. I, I got caught up on two or three issues last weekend. Um, so, Sounds good. Yeah, and I, and I enjoyed what they were saying. Like, It's not like necessary reading for Dark Crisis, but I, I appreciate that they're trying to make these characters relevant. So, But yeah. Oh, you uh, so re- I'll, I'll be reading that one for sure. Oh, you can report on that, and I'll report on uh, GCPD, The Blue Wall, because yeah. I like to issue one of that. I'm looking forward yeah. to issue two. Uh, we're probably skipping the Batman book, even though i got to know why he's all clockwork. Um, I might peek at it at my comic shop and just see... Oh, the Dark Crisis Batman Yeah, book. the Dark okay. Crisis one. Um, yeah, you're reading I'm the Mr. Gonna... Freeze book, though, right? You're... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One bad day, yeah. Those, so far, those have not missed, so I'm not... Ah. I'm not going to miss that one. So... Okay. But yeah, so 
yeah, media week, like you said, but well, we'll get through it. Yeah, media week plus probably solicits next week. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, look forward to that, everyone. Uh, but you can let us know what you thought of this week's comics and the comments, so you can get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast, and you can support the show uh, like all of our Patreon producers do. So thank you to Tyler Heston, the Pelicius, David Sharp, Bordeaux, Christopher Moy, David Brown, Al Tradesman, and Nelson M. Fordyce. They're all producers, but you can support us for uh, you know any amount you wish over at patreon.com slash TV. The $5 tier and up, you get early access to the show whenever it's ready on the Saturday night, uh, as opposed to the Sunday time. Uh, depending on your time zone, it may be, you know, early Sunday morning, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, regardless, uh, if that is of interest, you can have a look and see if you, you want to support the show that way. Uh, and of course, just share us out and just that, you know, whatever, all all, all in any help like that mm-hmm. does uh, mean a lot. So thank you very much. Uh, and of course, um, is there a th- have I missed that? No, I've said everything, right? I'm yeah. doing this in a weird way, I don't know. Uh, it's, I don't know, my brain's fried everyone thank you very much for joining us, we always appreciate it keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force